content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener's discretion is advised. listeners to WTF you talking about the podcast where we don't know what we're talking about until you do I'm Katie and I'm Decker Jesus Christ (laughs) (laughs) and we're here to ask each other what the fuck (laughs) are you talking about Mm. and how I repeat what the fuck (laughs) I just know I remember because we talked about how much you hate ASMR and I've also like after listening through all the stuff you put out I never have the same intro so now I'm just like fuck it I'm gonna double down and have a different intro every time you're just gonna deep throat the microphone it's fine Mm. it's cause I care first off I thought you were gonna say because I can (laughs) first off dude that would be impressive that'd be an impressive that's what I was gonna say in looking at the microphone I mean it's like what almost four inches wide Uh... this has been fun I don't know. Like, I, I mean, like I'm like I'm not talking about like circumference wise. I'm like I like I just mean. No, yeah, that's I'm I'm trying to I I I'm real bad. At, <laughs> I'm real bad at visualizing measurements. It's okay, I got it. I got it. I got I got one, two, like three and a quarter. Okay, maybe it's just three, or like two and a half. Hang on. What's? It's a really girthy. It's a girthy boy. Shouldn't have said that. You That's really fine. shouldn't have. That's fine. Oh, do you have like a little ruler on like your phone? Uh huh. That's about three inches, if not more. Impressive. And that's that's not circumference. That's no, no, just that's just width at looking at visual it. width. Yeah, like if it was a two dimensional. Yeah, I'm not into it. <laughs> yeah. Because that. Ew, uh, ew, mm. meh, meh. Anyways. And there you have it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Right. So here's how this is going to go. We've got six categories of topics, and the next episode's contents will be determined by the roll of a die. The categories are true crime, paranormal, history and education, science and technology, entertainment, and current events. We use an eight-sided die, so if you roll a one, you're going to roll a six-sided die for those same six categories, and if you roll an eight... Wait. What? If you roll a one, same six categories, Oh, right. But it has to be local. Uh, Gotcha. (laughs) So you just have to roll extra (laughs) dice just for the fuck of it. Yeah. Why roll one when you can roll two? (laughs) I just spat on myself. I I saw that. Oh, (laughs) joy. I was not going to act as if you didn't see that. (laughs) You're literally right in front of me. I am. And if you roll an eight, that's a wild. You get to pick whatever the hell you want, which Decker always rolls all mm. the time. Why do people drool? The age-old tale. Is that what your bit is about today? <laughs> Drooling? <I wish. laughs> Exhibit A. Well, Decker. Okay. <laughs> yes? What the fuck are you talking about? Well. With, with your wild roll. With my wild roll. Right. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I had to throw that conversation away. It was bad. I'm just going to say already, this is going to be a long night. Wild roll. I can't, I can't say the word now. You've, I've ruined it. Wild roll. Why are you saying wild that's weird? Wild roll. I just want to say it like that, though. Like, I don't want to. Wow, wow, whoa. 
Marmalade. It's fine. Um, I got <laughs> so I got a wild uh, last time. I can't say wild roll. I'm just gonna never say that sentence. And I just did. <laughs> you, you've Fuck. said it many times. Okay, good. Good for me. Um, I got a wild, and as promised, I said I would continue on some of the bits that were a multiple part series. So today. I'm wor- Okay, it's going away. I was worried that there was a burp coming my way. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was, like, welling up. It's like when you know, like, there's that sneeze coming, and it's like, uh-huh. oh. That's the most disappointing feeling. No, you're like... So unsatisfying. At least let me finish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> things I haven't heard before. Okay. Um, you were there? What? I don't know. Anyways. When? I'm Who? so confused. I am also okay. confused. Anyways, I got a wild, uh, and I'm going to talk about this little knife. Yes! Right? Because we, we talked about how I already have so many multi- multi-part series, and I really need to get into all the books, because there's, like, seven, right? There's three. There's Lyra's Oxford, and then there's Once Upon a Time in the North, and then there's the new one. To be fair, those, those other ones are short. Right. But... I still need to read them, nonetheless. Um, and then I guess the the newest book is called the I book Just of Saw. Dust. No, no, sorry, sorry. The Book of Dust is part of the next trilogy. Oh, uh, La Belle Sauvage. What was the one I just saw on Audible? There was another one that said it was coming out soon. Um, the second one. Hang on a second. Is it Sauvage La Belle? I don't know. Is it the Secret Commonwealth? Yeah, that's the second one. Right. That's the one. So I should clarify, since this last time, or since Decker did his section about the Golden Compass, I was like, well, I gotta go through all of these again. So I have since read the Golden Compass trilogy, the two novellas, as well as the first in the Book of Dust. Mm -hmm. And it is phenomenal. Yeah. And this one's a doozy because I'm not gonna lie. I feel like I never read this book for some reason. I was listening to it today, uh, like finishing it up, because I've been listening to it oh, like over the weekend, and <laughs> and there were certain parts that I honestly don't recall ever reading mm-hmm. that just threw... I was like, that happened? <laughs> oh, okay. I don't remember that ever happening. Because uh, like... Um, and I might be getting a little bit too far ahead of myself, but I never recall. I could never remember how the amber spyglass got to its starting point. Uh huh. Because I remember the very like first chapter there, and it didn't like. I was like, "How did we get here? I feel like we just jumped somewhere in time." I, I like. I knew I must have missed something, mm-hmm. but then again, it's been like a solid decade since I've probably read the books. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, so Subtle Knife is book two in his Dark Materials trilogy. This one starts off following Will. And, oh god, and I had all their names. It's fine. Hang on. Will's name is... That's not a good song. That's fine. Will Perry. That's right, Will Perry. Because uh, uh, his dad. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so this it, the beginning of this book follows Will Perry, who is... It seems to be... I don't think it's our universe per se, but it has a lot of things. If it's not our universe, it's something that's very closely paralleling our mm-hmm. current universe. Um, I think it's the closest 
to our universe that we see in the books at all. Right. Because, like, uh, some things that are pointed out in here is, like, you know, electromagnetic, like, frequencies Mm -hmm. and um, freaking soda. I guess freaking Lyra doesn't have any soda. Yeah, they don't have, like, soda and or pop or soda pop or whatever it is you call it. Yeah. Or uh, a fizzy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Did you ever used to have the... Did you ever go... Like, at Toys R Us, do you remember the pop fizzes that they used to have? The little tablets that you'd throw in water and they'd carbonate and turn to soda? No. I had those. They were garbage. <laughs> but I loved them nonetheless. Maybe because I like throwing them in there. I was like, oh, wow, it's bubbling. And then it would just turn to soda, but not really be soda. So it's basically just like... It was an alcohol thing is, that was But they're flavored. marketing it as candy. Yeah. <laughs> so you throw it in there. I used, to think if you, I used to think if you ate that, you'd die. <laughs> Like, it was like, it's like, that was also the same time frame as when I thought, like, if someone poked your belly button too hard, you'd pop. <laughs> I'm not lying about that. Like, I literally thought all your air, air inside of you stayed in there because your belly button was keeping it from escaping. <laughs> and so I just friend, thought you'd deflate. I have a friend that when she was little, her grandpa had her convinced for years that if her belly button disappeared, her butt would fall off. <laughs> so every morning she would get up wow. and make sure her belly button was still there. <laughs> My butt, no! And I mean, this is when she was little, but that's just the weirdest thing. Like, why are you making children believe this? Yeah, and it's funny, Which, too. I mean, to be fair, I totally had my brother yeah, convinced Parents, uh, like, in this, I wonder if, they must just get a sick kick out of it. <laughs> and I and I'm, I wonder if I would ever do the same thing. I probably would in some capacity. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I brought this up with my mom, the two things. Uh, which was, when I was younger, and I had cinnamon rolls, because we had cinnamon rolls, I, I brought it up to her in front of everyone. I'm like, do you remember the time that you told me the middle of the cinnamon roll was poisonous and that only adults could eat it? And then you take the center of my cinnamon roll for literally years before I found oh out that that was a God. lie? Yeah. Yeah. Not cool. And then that was the same thing with artichoke hearts. Uh-huh. When you guys learned I didn't know how to eat an artichoke. Uh-huh. Um, apparently right. Because I left all the good stuff still uh-huh. on there. Even though I thought I got it. I thought that was it. You just spun it around. I'm like, um, but yeah, I kind of a dick move for for parents to do. Anyways, well, I mean, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus. Right. Like, why are we lying to our children? <clears throat> because I guess because it's fun, and they don't know any better, I mean, and we like sowing doubt into our children's hearts early on in life. I like the idea of Santa, but I feel like it's okay to know that it's just, like, it's it's a fun thing that, like, no, no one's actually, like, breaking and entering and stalking you all year. Yeah, I know. It's just That's really parents. twisted to I do. Know. It's like Big Brother's always watching, except for it's really just Santa, and if you fuck up, you're gonna get coal. Yeah. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows that's, when you're awake. That's a felony. That's a really creepy thing to do. That's really a crime. Use. Anyways, yeah. That's a... It'd be really funny to talk about all the really creepy Christmas songs uh, yeah. at some point. Like a holiday entertainment special. Uh-huh. Um, anyways, so we, we've really sidetracked. But <laughs> uh, Will Perry, this falls Will Perry, and in the beginning he takes his mom to Mrs. Cooper, who is his piano teacher, mm-hmm. or former piano teacher, and he needs his mom to stay with uh, her for a while. Uh, for some time. The reason being is Will's mom apparently isn't mentally healthy. It seems like uh, his mother is having issues with not remembering what she's done or where she's at mm-hmm. or feels like there's people chasing her. So it feels like a mix of... Oh gosh, what would you say it's like a mix of? Um, She's... From 
the outside, it appears that she's having delusions and hallucinations. Right. So would that be like dementia? I mean, like, we're not psychologists. Maybe. But, like, it could Um, be that, or uh, she's not hearing voices, so I don't think it's schizophrenia. Yeah. But she has something where, like, mentally she feels like she's being chased by people, and she also... Um, she just can't recall what she's done, so she's almost she's losing track of time. Like she did half of her makeup on her face in the very beginning of the book. I mean, it's and it's close to dementia in that respect, but then there's also um, just like delusions of persecution, where she thinks that someone is chasing right. her. And then the weirdest, part, the worst part about this, and I think this is a really interesting tidbit, and it reminds me of like um, that one game that came out. Oh gosh, and I actually just ported over to the Switch. The Cuphead? No? no, I was not, like, I don't know where you're going with yeah, this. Yeah, there's a okay. lot of Cuphead. <laughs> no, uh, the game that John played on the PS4 that had to do with... Oh, Hellblade. Hell, yeah. That one, uh, uh, super, super good game. Highly recommend. But the funny thing about this is, in this book, the, th- the things that she's scared about are both not real and actually real. Uh-huh. So that makes it even more dicey because Will basically... he The reason why he's dropping his mom over at uh, Miss Cooper's house is because there are men, there are two men in particular that are referenced, that are have been questioning his mom about information about his father. And I think... Oh, was it John Perry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds right. Um, But they question... Uh, her about him because they want to know uh, not about like money or anything but they want to get some of his papers and documents and he's a scientist yes he's a scientist slash adventurer slash uh archaeologist slash pretty much whatever um that's also brought up at some point in the book where pretty much Mm -hmm. i guess he does everything he's literally the jack of all trades um except for he won't bang a witch and we'll get to that later (laughs) um (laughs) uh, right but Will, um, after dropping off his mom, he goes back home, he finds these men investigating inside the house, uh, trying to search inside the house, and there ends up being a scuffle, and one of the men dies. He falls down some stairs, and it even mentions, too, as he's running away, like, he couldn't get the image out of the guy's, like, how the guy's mm-hmm. neck and back wore after he landed, and, like, there was, like, this weird twitching. Um, at this point, he knows that the police are going to be coming after him at some point, and he needs to find a way to get away, so he's trying to lay low. I believe he ends up going to a park, and uh, I believe he go, goes to a park bench. Mm-hmm. Did you reference a park bench last time we chatted? Yes, I did. Okay, because I thought that that immediately caught my <laughs> eye. Like, like as soon as as soon as I read that in the book again, I was like, oh, she mentioned that. So I'm like, I wonder if that's like, whatever, might be important later on. Who knows? Um, You'll but read the third book eventually. He, I will read the third book eventually. All I need is another wild. Um, <laughs> But he ends up seeing what looks to be, like, a weird anomaly in, like, the air. And upon further investigation, he actually sees a cat that looks reminiscent of his cat, kind of pawing and, like, freaking out at the tear. And ends up, as he gets close enough to it, all of a sudden the cat just disappears. Mm-hmm. And was like, what the hell is this shit? <laughs> and he's like, okay. And he goes up to investigate, like, keeping an eye on exactly where that cat was. And sure enough, he ends up walking through it and ends up going into another world. Mm-hmm. Completely. And the reason why I bring that up is, if you recall back when we were talking about the movie, 
the very beginning of interesting of that movie shows one of those tears uh-huh. and mentioned like I mean its intro is like it's like a world similar to ours and it like makes it the, seem as if we're going from our world into their world mm-hmm. but um, kind of like an interesting thing to throw at because they never will investigate that nope that movie will never have its plot points finished I'm still not bitter about it it's fine it's okay though because the BBC is doing one that looks like it'll be I okay I know it better be good so I'm just gonna hang my hopes and dreams so, on that I don't recall if we brought this up in that episode. It had not been announced. Yeah, it had not been announced. And right after we talked about it, we, there was an was it the next day? It was very soon. It was very soon. I which think... has been really freaky with this podcast lately because we talk about stuff and all of a sudden it comes out in the news I, I posted, right after we record. After we released that episode, I think I posted a link to the, the trailer. Oh, cool. Good, good, good. Um, But... Uh, so, so he goes through this tear and he ends up finding Lyra and he freaks out. Well, they both freak out at each other because they both fight because they weren't expecting to see anyone. And Will learns a little about demons and Lyra learns about Will and like, she, like, that he has a demon, but not quite because I guess it's on the inside. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Because they're talking about like how weird it is that he doesn't mm-hmm. have a demon. And then he's like, no, that's really freaking weird. What the hell is that shit? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Um... And they find out in this area that they're at, there's, there's only kids. There's only kids in the city. And I almost thought, I was like, did I confuse this with another book? Because there was a book I read when I was growing up that was similar in that concept where only kids lived on the world. And a, you were a kid up until you were 16. And then after you were 16, you would die because there was a virus that attacked you oh. and killed you. Does that book sound familiar? It does. I never found the title to that book Shit. again. But I read that in fourth grade. And that book was really intense because like kids were actually like building up forts and stuff and killing other kids. It was like Lord of the Flies, but more like on land rather than on an island. <laughs> you know, like Which with more like land. hierarchies and like different kind of. Uh, I might have to pop that onto like a tip of my tongue Reddit or something and see if anyone knows what it is. Yeah, no, it's driving me nuts. But um, anyways, but they're in this city and apparently there's these what they call specters that are killing adults for some reason. But they won't kill kids. And supposedly they're around the kids, but they don't hurt them. But they do congregate more around kids that are mm-hmm. going to be kids or not be kids so soon aging that's a bad sentence anyways it, it, uh, they're tried. gonna be adults right <laughs> they're going they're transferred they're going from adolescence to like young adults mm-hmm. and um supposedly when the specters attack you it makes you kind of go mad mm-hmm. and then like it's almost like it turns you into a vegetable mm-hmm. is what happens because i guess like um the reason why i say that is at some point in the book some people just die. Other times, like these witches, like they just kind of go comatose. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like the, the near the very end of the book, <clears throat> one of the uh, specters attacks a witch, and, and it goes from the point of view of the witch, and it never says that she dies. She just kind of stops. She just stops. So it's like she's like, ah! and she's just like, which stuck I don't in know. Time. I don't know what's worse, dying or dying. Uh huh. Because in a sense, like you're dead. Yeah, you're just, but, but you're, you're still there. You're still there. So it's almost like you're, like, trapped. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but anyways, these kids talk to two other young kids, and I believe one of them was Angelica and Paolo? Yeah! Feels right. Angelica and Paolo. Uh, or Paolo. 
or Paulo, or I, I can't do Paolo. words. Paolo. Cool. Um, and they talk with these kids, finding out more about the land, and they find out not only about the specters, but supposedly they have another brother, and Paolo is immediately quieted or hushed by Angelica, and they can get they get the feeling that they're not being told all the information that's happening in mm-hmm. Syria. So, um, and again, this is just a very high level. I'm skimming through a lot of the dialogue here. But they end up <clears throat> finding out more about that, and they don't want anything else to really do with this place. They're, at this point, they're just kind of they done. They just want to go. So they, so they decide to leave this area and go back to Will's Oxford at the time, because they don't know how to get like to Lyra's Oxford. But um, Will's Oxford... And they start doing, like, research. Because Lyra wants to find a scholar in this world. Will recommends, like, a physicist. Like, a scientist. Because, like, a scholar is a little bit different. Like, scholars, mm-hmm. like, they learn stuff. But, like, if you want someone that knows things and, like, actually practices uh, more technology things, those aren't going to be, like, your theologians of your world. That's mm-hmm. going to be our actual scientists. And so she goes and she ends up, I believe... I can't recall if this is before or after. I'm going to say it's before. But she ends up going on the market and her, like, alethiometer alerts her to, like, some skulls that have a whole bunch of dust around them. Mm-hmm. And she ends up finding out that these skulls, they're, they're being, like, estimated that they're, like, 3,000 years old or something like that. And she finds that they're, like, 33,000 years old, which is old. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how old, like, humanity is, in a sense. I mean, I guess it depends on what you define as humanity. But I know, technically, I think we have historical records going back at least 7,000 years. Because I, I know that's, like, when, um, like, the first epic of, like, Gilgamesh mm-hmm. was, like, written. Or, like, you know, it talks about the story back then, like, I think it was, like, 4,000 BC. So that's about six, 7,000 years. Um, but... She finds about this, and then a man approaches her who seems oddly familiar, but she can't quite put her, you know, a word on it. And he approaches her. She gets, like, this feeling that she shouldn't be involved, per se. Like, something kind of isn't right. Yeah. But she gets a card from him, and she decides to investigate that later. But what she does instead is she goes and she finds a scientist by the name of... Uh, is it Mary? I thought it was Mary. It is. Mary Malone, right? Yep. There we go. Mary Malone, yes. And she is studying what they call as shadows and dark matter. Right? And dark matter in their in their world is the same as Lyra's dust. They're mm-hmm. one the same. And when she uses the dust to find out answers in the lithometer, they find out that that actually... Uh, is the same as when she uses um, this computer called the cave to talk with these shadows. And they're giving her answers back very slowly at the ometer. And so she goes to Mary and she tries to explain her that she's from another world. And because the elite told her to be 100% truthful, do not hold anything back. Right? If she asks, you give her a straight answer. And so she does that all. And she feels really weird about it because she's so used to lying at this point. But she goes and then she impresses Miss um, Malone. And she even tells uh, Malone that she should, instead of just doing like these weird, like, 
kind of wish-washy shapes, you could actually turn these into, like, actual pictures or mm-hmm. words, even. Like, it's highly possible. You could probably even do it in a day, is what she says. Uh, but she thinks something of it. At this point, she's so overwhelmed, but she's ecstatic, and she sends Lyra off on her way. Uh, or no, she doesn't send Lyra off on her way. I believe, uh, was it? I think police officers come in. Yes, I thought somebody on the first visit. showed up and they yeah. had to skedaddle. Right, because people the people are still looking for Will, and it's been reported that someone who looks similar to Will was has traveling been, with this girl. Was traveling with a girl, and so they see this girl, and eventually Lyra gets. The, she's like, "Oh, I shouldn't be here. I need to bounce." She eventually gets away, and they. Uh, she she calls the guy that had the card and gets in his car, only to find out after she gets out of the car that her lithiometer is gone. It's been stolen, mm-hmm. right? And so she's really upset because she, the lithiometer, I believe, told her not to mess around with that. It was just to focus on helping Will, mm-hmm. and she didn't do that. And since she disobeyed, and since she kind of lost privileges to mm-hmm. her lithiometer, and so Will helps her go get it back. They talk with this man. And they, uh, she find, finds out that she was he was one of the guys that she had talked with on... Good. She was, uh, he was one of the guys that she talked with back in the first book when Miss Coulter had that giant meeting. Yeah. Right, with the oblation board. Right, the gobblers, if you will, if you guys can recall that. And so she goes there and he's like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I own this object. Because he basically talks about how he's like, I can forge document pretty quickly, and I'm also a sir. Everyone's gonna take my word over a child. I hate it. Like, and I'm like, well, that's kind of a dick move, but okay. And he asked them to go get an object in return, which is a knife that supposedly can cut through anything, including time and space, mm-hmm. in a sense. And I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good knife. Oh. <laughs> You can make all the food. You could just cut whatever you want. Um, but they go back to the world that has this knife. And it's, I think it's, uh, is it Chigazi? I think that's how I say it. Or it's like Kigazi, something like that. Yeah. Um, and that was the world that they went to where there was like no adults. At least not currently. I guess most of them are in hiding. Because. Mm-hmm. The specters. The specters, you know. I'm Inspector Spectre. <laughs> um, but they go and they go searching for the knife and they realize that the kids that weren't talking, that maybe that was the, like, they had the knife. Uh, or the, the the brother of the kids, of Angelica and Paolo. So they go to find out where this knife is at and they go inside what looks to be a giant building because that's where this older man told them to go. And they go in there. They find another old man. Old men everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, all of like which are littered like, with old men. Well, I mean, it's like a tutorial for... Actually, you know what? You know? Because there's an old man that gives... Uh, so the old man they run into gives Will eventually a tutorial on this knife that he <laughs> will get at some point. Right? And... But he's not doing so well. I guess he was attacked by a deranged kid. And this kid is uh, the brother of Angelica and Paolo that mm-hmm. took the knife. And they realize that the man's in danger. So they're going to try and sneak away and get the man out of safety. But I guess this kid saw them. They get into a giant scuffle. Willie eventually ends up getting the knife. 
but then it doesn't feel so well. Mm-hmm. Because he got his fingers cut off. Not all of them, just two. And I believe it was his, was it his, his, it was his right hand? I think it was his... Right hand, it was pinky, pinky and, and his, his ring finger. finger. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. And I guess he bled a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot, a lot. Then again, it was also a very clean cut. So, I mean, because it can cut through anything. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was just like... Because he didn't even realize he had it cut for a while until yeah. after he was done He's fighting. like, oh, I don't feel great. He's like, oh. oh and then blood loss. The, the, the fingers came out with the rope. That's not how that should work. Mm-hmm. But he uh, ends up getting some help from this old man. And the old man tells him that you're now the bearer. And he's like, how do I How do I know? And I guess the old man also had his fingers missing. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's like a rite of passage where every dickweed just has to... Like, like here's the thing. Like, this isn't a great idea. <laughs> this is because... what. This is like the one of the things I kind of have a hard time kind of getting behind because it means that anyone that gets that knife, like let's say, you know, I'm not sure if there's just one knife or there's multiple, but it always starts with the battle for the person that currently has the knife. And once they get the knife, they lose those two fingers. Well, I think doesn't the old man say something about that? Like that being how the knife has all this power and it's not good, but it's not bad. Right, he he does kind of he does kind of state that because one of the things is there's not really an origin story to the knife. They talk about I I don't quite believe how it was made because there's so many different like there's hypotheses of how the um, specters got into the world. It's mm-hmm. because I guess someone was trying to turn something into gold and they got down to the finitest piece and then they ended up cutting it and like all specters out of the world, right? And. Really what that tells me is, like, maybe, like, someone opened up a portal with that knife and it just came bleeding through. Yeah. Because that's because the idea is, like, anytime you open a door, you shut that door. But just the problem is that that was not happening. Yeah, that was not happening because I guess there's tears across everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. So. And there's just all of these dust leaks. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> I got leaky pipes. Leaky universe. But I thought. I need a universal plumber here. I thought somebody said something about. Like, the knife being at the center of all of these terrible things that had happened, but also these great things that had happened. I don't know. I don't recall him specifying events with the knife, at least not in this book. I don't think he had, like, specific events, but... Right. But he did say that it was... I mean, eventually it's known that it's a useful tool and that both sides want this knife because both... both, Whoever gets the knife pretty much is going to win the war. Yeah. Is what's specified. Because think about it, you have a weapon that can cut through space and time and pretty much cut through anything. anything. Like, what would there be to stop you with this knife? Other than someone shooting you. Or <laughs> another knife. A lesser... Another knife. A, le- a more blunt knife that still pokes. Um, but they end up getting the knife, and instead of returning it, they steal the Elite Honor back from the other old guy who ends up having Lyra's mom. And he's a real back. big asshole. He's a real big God, asshole. God, I hate that guy. Yeah, it's okay. He, he'll he go away. <laughs> but uh, they get the alethiometer back, and Lyra promises to only help out Will at this point, because that's what the compass told her mm-hmm. to do. So she's going to do said thing. Now, she ends up, I think at this point, it actually leaves her, and there's other stories here. So there's a witch... Who, um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm totally spacing her name. Serafina Piccolo, right? Mm-hmm. Is that her name? Yeah, Serafina. So the main head witch from the last movie, the one that had like the weird kick, the one kick of death, that was my favorite <laughs> part. 
Um, but in the book, much cooler. She ends up finding out what Miss Coulter's kind of up to. She's trying to, she's torturing witches to try and find out more about her daughter and what the witches want with her. Mm-hmm. Now, before she divulges any secrets, the other Seraphina kills the other witch that's being tortured and gives her mercy in a sense. Then leaves and she's like, I'm gonna shoot Miss Coulter in the throat next time. So Fair. right. And then she ends up finding some angels as she flies towards Svalbard. Mm-hmm. And she falls up with them, and I believe another witch ends up taking over. And I got I couldn't recall. I tried like rewinding to figure out where it was at, but I'm like when did this other witch join? I can't recall where she came from, but I guess there was like a witches meeting uh-huh. from like another another group of witches, and one of them went with the angels because I guess they were going to Lord Asriel because Lord Asriel's heading this war mm-hmm. against, in a sense, God. He's trying to kill God. Mm-hmm. Is literally what's happening. Uh, otherwise known as the Authority in this book, and then Seraphina, meanwhile, is trying to help out um, Lee Scoresby. Mm-hmm. And needs to help him find uh, Grumman. Has a really weird name, but it was the one that had the he-, he was decapitated in the first book. Yes, right. So trying to find, I'm just gonna call him Grumman, but trying to find him. So th- th- she tells these Scoresby to go looking for him. She gives him a flower and says, "If you need anything, take out this flower and call out my name, and I will be there." And we have these other adventures. So it's funny because this is a book where the first time it pretty much almost explicitly followed Lyra. In mm-hmm. fact, I don't think it really even deviated from her. Except for when it was like events surrounding her and then eventually she was introduced and, to Yeah, and then it would come back around. But it was to... very quick. It, it didn't uh-huh. linger on other people. Whereas this one, it's like we have three stories. We have Seraphina Peccolo. We have Lyra and mm-hmm. Will who switched spots. But I'm going to just say they're kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, they're together so it's fine. And then we have Lee Scoresby. And it hurts me. It hurts me so much. Because I didn't remember him fucking dying. I didn't remember that. In fact, I was like, isn't he still alive in the third book? No! No. I mean, unless something happens. Because, so, I got ahead of myself. Sophia Piccolo finds out about the Spectres. She eventually um, has her um, demon catch up with Lyra and Will. They talk about some stuff. And she has to go peace out because ultimately Scoresby reaches out to her. Meanwhile, Lee Scoresby is with Grumman <laughs> and he uh, finally finds him. The way how he did that was he talked to some people in the town. He got found out by the church. He shot the church guy in the leg. I guess he got an artery. The church guy's like, I want to die and then just dies immediately because I can die by sheer willpower. Because <laughs> that's literally what happened. He's like, I, he's like, it's okay. I want to die. And then just goes, eh. <laughs> like, wow, that's really convenient. He takes the ring in order to trick other people uh, to get onto his um, uh, his aeronautic his balloon. balloon. That the steampunky balloon. Um, False. I know. And Fake he news. finds Grumman. They talk about what needs to be done. He says that the wielder of the subtle knife has to do X, Y, and Z. And really the goal is he needs to get the, the subtle knife guy to Lord Asriel. Because he's going to be the one that basically stops the war. Mm-hmm. He needs to get this knife underneath the protection of Lord Azrael so that they can finally kill God. And that's so like, okay, like cool. Can now what happens is <clears throat> they get followed by some Zeppelins. Grumman. 
is, I guess, a shaman, and he literally just summons a storm to down three mm-hmm. out of four zeppelins. I'm like, that's fucking badass. badass. Yeah, he's like, I'm. I just turned a storm from X Men. And I just that's why I imagined it was like, it was like, Aah! and so these they all go down, and except for one, and then Lee Scoresby crashes, and but he crashes on purpose to try and hide, like try to get away from the zeppelins. And unfortunately, and Lee Scoresby also starts having like these weird visions, mm-hmm. and his demon, who was a rabbit, which I can't recall if that was brought up in the first book. I don't remember it being brought up in the first book, which means that in the movie, they went at least two books deep to get the rabbit with the right voice. Uh-huh. Um, fuck, um, what's her name? Uh, I want to say Henrietta, and that's absolutely not it. Henrietta. Um, let's see. We're gonna find it. Uh, Satan? Okay, cool. It, that's definitely not her that's name. That's not it. Uh, it's near, it's the second to last chapter is where this whole shit happens. Because then they talk about what kind of rabbit she is as well. Hester. That's right. Hester's the name we're looking for. Okay. So, so they crash and they're going up some like rocks and stuff. They're like trying to escape and all these people, they want to capture anything grooming. They want to capture him. So that will be his name from henceforth. But no, or, no, no, no. actually, no, his name's John Perry. I'm just going to call him John Perry. That's mm-hmm. easier. But so his real name, John Perry, they try to capture him. But Lee Scorpio's like, no, none of that. But he tells John Perry specifically, he's like, I will fight and protect you so you can escape. But I told you, I'm, I, everything I'm doing right now is to help protect this little girl. And. You promised me that you're gonna get the knife underneath the protection, of, like to protect her. That is all I want. I will do this for you as long as you promise me that you will get that knife underneath her protection. Mm-hmm. And if you decide to not honor that, I don't care whether I'm dead or alive. I will make sure that my spirit from here or from anywhere else will come back and make sure that you pay. And he's like. I will do this thing. So Lee Scoresby fights. He kills 25 out of 30. Like, he had 30 bullets, and he kills 25 yeah, he men. fucking rages, and... God, he's yeah, and Hester's just, like, calling them all out, uh-huh. and he's just downing them all, and I was like, yeah, Lee Scoresby's a badass. But he takes a couple shots. He gets... Uh, one of them goes across his forehead, but he's fine. The other one catches him in his arm, his leg his torso, but doesn't quite kill him. And then he, I guess he gets another one in the head, but he's still alive. And I'm really confused as to how that works. Um, at the very end, he gets, he blows up the Zeppelin with one shot. Now, before that last shot, he actually pulls up the flower. They real, they both realize he had the flower and could have called Seraphina Peccolo to come save their asses, uh-huh. which just breaks my heart. And, and I think this was good. I think, uh, and let me tell you why this is, I think is a phenomenal plot device and I think it pushes the story in a fantastic direction because most of the time with books or stories you have certain things that are introduced and they're used almost immediately or if they're not used up immediately they're always used typically at the right time Mm -hmm. and this was one of those moments where I was like I hate how this ended but I love that they did that because what they did was Lee Scoresby takes out this flower. He asks for help for Sergio Peccolo. He's dying. 
right? Mm-hmm. And his last shot, he blows up the Zeppelin. But he dies before she even gets to him. Because mm-hmm. most of the time you'd have like this deus ex machina kind of thing where all of a sudden she's there and she just starts killing some shit and there's a tornado or whatever. Another storm, if you will. Right? Uh-huh. There's always like this saving grace. Somehow it would And work I out. love, I love how he introduced this because it's like, you know, sometimes people have things and they don't realize, they, they realize too late what could mm-hmm. have saved them. I wish more books did that. I think that's one thing is that people struggle to struggle with the idea that things don't have to have a happy ending to be good. Right. So like some of the best. Well, everything has to be used because uh what, here's what would have been really interesting. What if, what if like he dies or like he has a note and like this item still on him and one of them later on gets this thing and they have it later or it was like used but it's used too late. And like, that's the thing that's in my head is like, I haven't read the next book, but it's like, what does Sarah Vina do when she goes there and she sees that he's dead? Mm-hmm. Like what happens at that point? Like, does she have a doubt in her character where it's like, she's, she's already lost a whole bunch of witches and now she's doubting herself because she couldn't even save the person that she's told him that she would protect him if she called his name and he's dead. Like, that's what I'm excited to see now is it's like, what happens with her character? Or does something else happen? Because um, I know we're going into like a whole bunch of spirit realm stuff. Uh, at least that's what it feels like. Because we're getting all these terrors. So at some point we're going to get into like... It feels like either like hell or the afterlife or something. Um, but yeah, so that's unfortunate. Now, after Lee's dead and he does his whole job like a badass. John Perry goes up. He finds Will after, I guess, I think Will wakes up in the middle of the light and he feels, like, really hot and he, like, leaves. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds almost like he's gone mad because, like, of a fever. Like, because mm-hmm. I think his hand's infected at this point. It yeah. Sounds like it, at least. <coughs> now, John Perry... Now, John Perry finds him and they get in a scuffle and John Perry's, like, on his, like, he's, like, dying in a sense. It sounds like, at least, because they're, like, he's not moving and then he starts barely moving. Like, he's, like, so exhausted and fatigued from summoning freaking heaven's wrath on people. Well, I think that was something else they talked about is how, like, people from Lyra's world can't exist forever in Will's world because of dust. Um, Hmm. And it's the same, like, vice versa. Right. So... He ends up getting to Will and he tells Will what to do, but in the book, here's also where I got lost a little bit, because in the book it says that he, in that moment, he decides to betray Lee Scoresby Mm -hmm. and tell Will to go to Lord Asriel. And I don't see how that's necessarily a betrayal, because if it was a betrayal, like, here's what I would have seen as a betrayal. He finds out about Lyra... And he tells Will to forget Lyra and go to her death. Um, because going to Lord Azrael was not necessarily advantageous for Lyra. Right. But I just, like in my head, when I think betrayal, it would be, don't go help out this little girl. Go to Lyra. But at the same time, you know what? Actually, now it makes more sense because he didn't know of the girl and he didn't tell him to go. Like, do you know of a little uh-huh. girl or something like that that needs to be protected? He just told him to go on. And the funniest thing about, about this is there was a little bit of like a Deus Ex Machina thing in there. Or like almost instant karma because as soon as he says that, he dies. <clears throat> now he dies because he gets shot by a witch who he wouldn't bed or some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
literally what she tells Will, right? So she she goes down and then she's like freaking out and she's like, he was my lover, but he just wouldn't love me because she's crazy. And Will's like, what? What are you talking about? That's like literally his response. He's like, you just killed my dad. What the fuck are you talking about? And she starts freaking out and he's like, this isn't... You killed him because you loved him? What does that even mean? And then she just stabs herself in the heart and dies. I was like, huh, okay. There's a lot of dying that happens. Yeah. It's also very convenient that she was there at that moment, but I don't know. I just seemed really, I don't know. That was like one of the things I think in the book that was just really out of place for me. Unless, Uh but maybe I have to know more about like these angels that are in there because it seems like these shadows are angels. Anytime they say something, it ends up happening mm-hmm. and i think you know actually now i'm saying that it makes a lot more sense too because the whole th- plot of this is lyra is supposed to be a person that stops destiny mm-hmm. right so whatever is being used to tell lyra what to do or like if she does things like what will happen as soon as it's spoken it's almost written out to happen mm-hmm. so maybe because least Gorsby said that and somehow it got like written to some sort of weird like and you know heavenly obituary that's like if he does this kill him so i don't know but that makes a lot more sense anyways that whole thing happens go back to seraphine peccolo or some of the witches one of the witches tells lyra that there's some shit going on in the camp overhead she lyra's like go check it out but don't be seen and the witch goes down and she's like, I'm invisible and shit. And she's like, going through the <laughs> camp. And she's like, I'm slammed by these two guys. And she gets to the camp uh, inside the tent where you have Miss Coulter, a.k.a. Lyra's mom, uh, a.k.a. Weird-ass Golden Monkey. And that's right, she's a monkey. Anyways. <laughs> I was like, what? She's also that's known fine. as a Her golden monkey. Her monkey is fucking weird in the movie. I can't they, get past yeah, it. It's true. Ugh, it's gross. And then there's old man dude with, with snake demon. And that was the one that was lying to Lyra about, like, I own this compass shit. And she starts seducing him, and she's like, tell me about this knife. I really want to know about this knife. Can you tell me about the knife? And he's like, he's like I'm basic and shit. I'll tell you anything, because I really want your love. <laughs> Literally, that's what happens. And she's like, okay, I'll tell you why it's so important. And he's like, but the knife's mine. And she's like, yeah, of course. And then she poisons a drink and has him drink it after he's already super fucking wasted and as soon like and i have yet to i have yet to figure out why this happened but as soon as he drinks that poison and he kind of like crumples down or whatever but he's like not he's not necessarily dead because a snake demon's still there mm-hmm. i'm a little lost behind that because if he was dead the demon should went whatever and turned to dust um but uh <laughs> she immediately turns around and addresses the witch who's invisible at this point. She mm-hmm. casts a spell to be invisible. And she's like, do you not think I don't know how you guys are invisible? And the witch is so caught off guard by this. She's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I'm freaking invisible. Nobody can see me. How are you staring right at me and addressing me? And the specters also start attacking her demon who's on a lake far away from her. And she's like, tell him this culture to stop. And then, of course, she tortures her, get all the information she wants. And then we find out that Lyra is supposedly Eve. Mm-hmm. A second Eve, if you will. And she's supposed to bring forth a new world. Right? A new Eden. And this was also hinted at because earlier on, we have Dr. Malone. 
she ends up going back to the computer later on. A whole bunch of stuff happened where basically she lost her job because she decided not to follow, like, try to mm-hmm. do brain manip- manipulation of people. And she talks with these shadows, and the shadows tell her that she has to be the serpent. And I says to her that, I was like, oh, this is, mm-hmm. this is reminiscent Which, of something. This is very Remind beautiful. me, is uh, Mary Malone, is she a nun? She was a nun. Okay. She left the convent because yes. she no longer believed. The convent let her leave because she no longer believed. Uh-huh. And then she became a scientist. She was doing fucking science. Yeah, science, bitch. And I'm still talking to spirits, yo! <laughs> so, I just know these spirits are real! Um, and... Yeah, Dr. Mullen just has a little bit more left in there. But as soon as I heard about the serpent, I was like, this sounds biblical. And then you have Lyra being Eve. And then Miss Coulter's like, well, shit, now I have to fucking end my daughter. Is kind of what she says. Mm-hmm. It was really weird because I'm like, oh. Because I know what you do in the next book. And that's not necessarily killing her. Weird. Eh, spoilers. Not spoilers. I didn't say what happens. I but um, this, It's fine. This is a spoiler. Spoiler. Yeah, this whole thing is going spoiler. through the whole book. Anyways, uh, but she she ends up making the witch not really alive, and then all the witches go down. Will's going back to camp. He can't find Lyra. All these angels are like, "Your dad did what we wanted him to do," and Will's like, "Why did you save him?" And their answer is, "Well, he did his job. We don't need to save him now. We were done with him." And I'm like. That's, that's shitty like why would will want to follow you pricks yeah because let's you literally just showed him he's like if you help us we'll help you till you did your job mm-hmm. and at the very end he tries to go save lyra he can't find lyra he finds the compass though he realizes lyra has been kidnapped or is gone and all the angels are like hey so you want to do the shit we told you to do and it says at the very end like and will hears none of this because i'm guessing he's like fuck these angels i gotta go yeah. find lyra Ta-da! And that's my book report. How'd I do? <laughs> Yay! Yeah. So that book is so good. Ugh. Very top level. Very lovely book. Uh, on Audible, it was just under nine hours. But of course, I listened at one and a half times speed, so that made that like six hours and twenty minutes. Yeah, I was like, like I listened to everything sped up. Yeah. So when I two hours, to two, like... two times speed is too much in Audible. Two times speed is like the book comes with film book. And I'm like, oh. It depends on the narrator. N- n- yeah. n- on the narrator for me, some of sometimes it's too much, but sometimes it's not. Yeah, I feel like I listen to these ones all at two times. But yeah, it was super interesting, and yeah, so I guess now next book we're gonna find out if they kill God and where's Lyra and what does Will freaking do and. I love the next book. <sighs> it's so good. Doctor Malone, oh, I'm interested to see what else she has. But should on. yeah. She, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. So, Katie. Yes, Edgar? What the fuck are you talking about? I hear it's a doozy. Oh, yeah. Well, I got true crime. Yes, you did. Uh, you got the thing you wanted. Yep. I'm going to hand you this notebook. Okay. Uh, and I'm actually, I know that there's a content warning at the beginning of the episode, I am going to issue an additional content warning because this is really fucking grim. Is it? It is really bad. How grim are we talking here? Real bad. Okay. Um, I belong to several like true crime enthusiast Facebook groups or whatever, and multiple times I've seen 
different posts where people are like, what's, you know, the one case that's too much for you to look into or whatever. Um, and this one comes up a lot. And if you're familiar with, and that's why we drink, uh, Christine has said multiple times that this is a case she will not cover because it's just too much, which is completely understandable because it is fucking... You have a fucking printed document. Insane. Uh, is that yes. like an essay? Like, what the hell is this No. Shit? Uh, I will get to what that is. Oh my god. Um, as we're talking about the toy box killer. Right. Mm-hmm. She did mention that. Which... It's been mentioned, I think, in at least two episodes. Yeah. That's been brought up and that she will not touch it. Uh-huh. And it's... I know absolutely nothing about oh, the toy box killer. well, I know are... nothing about most killers, but I, I have never even heard of this killer until it was brought up on, and that's what we drink. You're in for a ride. Um... Do I need to get the drive up? Yes. Um, Aside from this printed document I have here next to me, I have 19 pages of notes. Oh my god, what? Because this went on for years. And it like all came to a head at one particular point, and it's just fucking insanity. So we're talking about David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. Um, and you can just pull up the, the true crime folder, but you don't need to open any of it yet. Okay. And I didn't put that many pictures in there because they're real grim. <laughs> they're fucking... God, hmm. Fucking nightmare fuel. It, yeah, actually. That's great. <laughs> Good night! I don't want this in my life. Why did I go to this account? What's I don't know. I watched that happen and I was like, maybe he's linked them somehow. Mm-hmm. Nope. <sighs> okay. David Parker Ray was born November 6th, 1939 in, it's either Belen or Belen, uh, New Mexico. He lived with his younger sister and his disciplinarian abusive grandfather. Uh, he was pretty much just like passed around between different family members. Um, cause his, his mother wasn't really in the picture. She was like, she wasn't gone, but she just didn't give a fuck about him. Uh, mm-hmm. He was severely neglected. And his father would just kind of sporadically drop in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a violent, abusive alcoholic. And whenever he did come to visit, he would supply his young son with just like a... Every time he'd come, he'd just have a, a stash of porn mags. But this isn't just like... Like, it, it's not just bringing him like Playboy or Penthouse or whatever. This was... Uh, really violent, graphic, sadomasochistic porn mags. How young was he when this he started? Was, he was pretty young. Um, I don't have an exact age for when that started. But this, like, it became an, an obsession. Uh, he was pretty shy and he was bullied at school because he was particularly shy around girls and wasn't able to speak to them very well. Um, he, I mean, to cope with his childhood, he kind of retreated into a fantasy world and he journaled, like, nonstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, his younger sister, Peggy, uh, at this point, I think David was 14, um, and she's younger. Uh, she discovered a collection of his drawings that were erotic and sadomasochistic in nature. And so, yeah, he was in his teens at this time. Um, he also told her that he fantasized about hurting women. And nobody did anything at this point because 
at this point, like the only person that he, I think that he had really voiced these things to was his younger sister, Peggy, who if he is 14, she is a young child. What the fuck is she going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and also all of the other adults in his life are fucking awful. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And just a side note, uh, when the, the jumping, I don't remember when Viagra was released. I want to say it was like 1995 or something along that line, something around there. Uh, when Viagra was released, he actually called the company to ask them if Viagra would help him get an erection without him needing to hurt somebody. Don't know if anything happened there. I'm sure the poor person that answered the phone was probably like, oh, we've been disconnected. Sorry. Anyway. So after high school, he worked as a mechanic and joined the army. He received an honorable discharge. He was a mechanic when he was in the army. And then he went to work as a park ranger, taking care of the mechanical needs in Elephant Butte State Park in New Mexico. Um, In between the time when he left the military and when he started to become a park ranger, um, other things happened. So he didn't go right from there to being a park ranger. Okay. He was married and divorced four times and had two children. Um, His son... I believe changed his name because he was David Parker Ray Jr. Um, and I That's feel fair. I feel like I read somewhere that he changed his name, or maybe I just heard somebody say that if they were him, they would have changed their name. Um, hard to say. Don't know. And his daughter was Glenda Jean Ray, and she goes by Jesse. Not exactly sure how you get Jesse from Glenda or Jean, but she goes by Jesse. Now we're gonna be talking. <laughs> this name is ridiculous. Um, his, uh, girlfriend, Cindy Hindi. Okay. Was born February 6th, 1969. So she's 30 years younger than he is in Seattle, Washington. And she was also largely ignored by her mother, um, who was much more interested in the beauty pageants that she was participating in. So it wasn't Cindy that was in the pageants. It was her mother that was in these. Okay. Um, she was psychologically and sexually abused by her stepfather, and when she finally got the courage to t- talk to her mother and tell her that her stepfather was abusing her, her mother, or, like, the stepfather denied it, and her mother said, yep, that's fine, that's, like, good enough for me, and she kicked her daughter out of the house. She was 12. So, little 12-year-old living on the streets now. Wow. Uh, she started dealing and doing cocaine at a very early age. Uh, she was super small, so she was at, like... 105-ish pounds, um, and went through a string of just, like, really terrible, violent relationships. But multiple people that they talked to, including, like, exes, said that she could easily beat the shit out of a 250-pound person. So she was, she was solid, and she'd take you down. Uh, At 16, she had her first child, which was a son. Um, she'd later have two more daughters. Uh, all of these were with different fathers. Uh, She was not equipped to raise these children as she was living on the streets selling cocaine. Uh, So she just shipped them off to live with her mother and her stepfather. You know, the ones that let her continue to be abused and abused her. So, great. And that was when the youngest was 10. In 1997, she was caught selling cocaine to an undercover agent. And after this, she would have had to have taken a drug class. And she wasn't particularly interested in doing that. So she ditched her kids and skipped town and headed to New Mexico. She got there, basically just became a bar rat and was busted for a DUI pretty much as soon as she arrived in the town of Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. 
What? So originally... There's no way that's the name of a spice. Oh, it's... Yes, it is. Truth or Consequences, New Mexico? So it was originally named Hot Springs. The town changed its name when radio quiz show Truth or Consequences announced that they would air the program on its 10th anniversary from the first town that renamed itself after the show. Hot Springs won, and they officially changed their name March 31st, 1950. And then, this is just an interesting tidbit, is the host actually continued to visit the town the first weekend in May for the next 50 years. Damn. Um, and so then his him coming to visit became this event that was just known as Fiesta, and it included like a parade and like a stage huh. show and all this random stuff like that. And they actually still celebrate that in Truth or Consequences. Hmm. But yes, this That's place cool. is legitimately called... Who makes sense to have a name? It's like when you ask someone to name your boat. <laughs> Boaty McBoatface? It's a great name. <laughs> Townie McTownface? <laughs> so Cindy Hendy served her community service at Elephant Butte State Park, which is where she met David Parker Ray, who was working there as park ranger. They hit it off pretty much right away, and they became regulars at the Blue Water Saloon. Listen to me turning all of my pages. She moved in with him in January of 1999. So this was like a month after she met him, basically. Because uh, they bonded over their mutual interest of sadism. Mm. So, mm. great. Right. I've been there. <laughs> Have you? I feel that. <laughs> it's a normal transition in life, I hear. Ah, right. I missed that one. Oops. So. <laughs> it's gonna... like being a, uh, what's the, what were they called? It's just an S. Snake. No. That is what a snake sounds like, though. (laughs) I was going to say circus performer, but that starts with a C. No, a scene. Oh, a scene kid? Yeah. Uh, Oh, I see. You were just talking about transitions in life. Right. Okay. I'm still, in my brain, I'm still saying snake. Snake. (laughs) The transition from snake to person. Oh, man. Uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, March 22nd, 1999, 3.22 p.m., a 911 operator receives what seems to be a hang-up call. Nobody says anything, but she can hear that there are, there's, like, sounds of a struggle in the background before it hangs up. The operator is like, the fuck? So, dials the number back, and a woman answers, and she's, like, agitated and out of breath, um, tells her that everything was fine, um, and it was, she didn't mean to call 911, it was an accident, nothing to worry about, hangs up. So the op- literally, like, opposite sides of the phone. 911. Like, uh, yeah. And so the op- accidentally call that? The operator is like, uh-huh, okay. Still gonna send the cops. Or so the yeah, cops. the operator calls the police and is like, hey. I mean, not like calls the police. They are the 911. Right. Anyways, they are the 911. You know oh. what I mean. Um, yeah. tells, tells them, she's like, hey, can you do a welfare check at this address? This is what has happened. So they send out an officer. Or they send out a deputy. <laughs> Two state park employees hear, that this is, hear this on the radio. So they head over to the address to offer their assistance to Deputy Olston, who was the deputy that had been sent out. Two state park individuals? Yeah, state park rangers are like, let's go help the police. Dun-da-da! I'm... What? Because they've got a radio. 
and they pick this up. So right. I assume what they does have that a, to do with the state park. Like, are they in the state park? Is that where the disputes happen? Elephant Butte State Park is very close. Oh, okay. So that's weird. But all right. Officer, or, yeah. So Deputy Olson heading out to this address. Now, two state park employees hear the this, and they're like. We will go help because we are state park employees and not police officers, I guess. Mm -hmm. So they head out. On the way, they see a car pulled over and a woman's on the side of the road waving them down. And she's very obviously distressed. Uh, She tells them that she just saw a naked woman covered in blood with a dog collar and a five foot chain around her neck running down the road. Uh, So they tell her that the police are on the way. Um... But they continue or to stay where she is, but they continue to the address in case it was connected to what this woman had just seen. They leave her? Yes. Are you fucking kidding me? They're leaving a woman on the road by herself? Yep. Yep. So. What the fuck were they thinking? I don't know. That's absolutely I mean, ludicrous. I, I can get, they're thinking, oh, like, we should see if this is still connected. But also, like, if this woman is clearly distressed, maybe don't just leave her on the side of the road. Yeah. Or maybe, like, <laughs> wait till someone gets to this lady. Yeah, so they... She's at least someone vulnerable. Like, cause how late is it at this time? It is 3.22 in the afternoon. That was when the first call came in. So by this okay. point, it's maybe 3.30. Gotcha. Okay. Um, maybe 3.35. It, it's daylight. So... They continue down to the to the, the address, uh, and so they they get there, and they arrive at the home of David Parker Ray. They knock on the door. There's no answer. Nobody appears to be home. So while they're waiting for the police, to the scanner picks up another call received about a naked, bloody woman with a chain around her neck running down the road. So this is different from, it's not like that lady that called. This is a whole separate call. So Deputy Olsen arrives. Naked bloody woman? Mm-hmm. David Olsen arrives at the park. Or no, he arrives and the park rangers tell him that no one's home, which Deputy Olsen is like, well, that's weird because there was a 911 call placed from this address like five minutes ago. So at this point, the Sierra County sheriffs arrive. And so together they search the perimeter and then they enter because they're using probable cause that they've received a 911 call. It was very suspicious um, from this address. Somebody inside might need help. So they enter. And here's what they find. All of the windows are covered to block all light coming in. The room is dirty. There's stuff everywhere, just like hoarder level filth. There's a bed in the corner of the living room that's got broken glass and a broken lamp nearby. The mattress is stained with blood, and a bloody ice pick is on the floor next to the bed. There are shackles and padlocks attached to each corner of the bed, and above the bed is a pulley system with chains and ropes hanging down, and against the wall, a person-sized box that contained restraints and shackles that are obviously for keeping someone inside the box. A pegboard on the wall is covered with instruments of torture, most appearing to be handmade, Uh, One bedroom had ropes and chains, so they they go through the house. And I think there was, like, a master bedroom, a bedroom, a kitchen or living room, bathroom. Um, Because, I mean, it's basically a double-wide trailer. Uh, One bedroom has ropes and chains hanging from the ceiling. The wall is covered in crude drawings and hardcore violent pornography. There's a bed and a dresser. And on top of the dresser is just an assortment of 
tools like pliers, as well as muzzles, scissors, clamps, and various sex toys. While officers are officers, while <clears throat> officers are discovering this, another 911 call comes in from a woman saying that a naked woman ran into her house covered in blood with a chain around her neck, saying that she had been captive for three days and had been raped. So officers arrive at this house. Uh, when they arrive, there's an elderly man signaling them down and is like, yep, hey, come here, over here. Um, so the police get there. As they're walking up to the house, uh, this woman bursts out of the house in a pink robe that the elderly couple had given her. Um, and so she runs at the officers. She's screaming, please don't let them get me. At uh, one point, I'm getting ahead of myself. I will come back to that. Um, the elderly man, whose name I don't remember, but I know I mention it later, um, he had wanted to remove the collar from her neck, um, but it was attached by a padlock. Uh, and so... Maybe, like, some, like, bolt cutters or something to, like, get Which, um, and also, like, as terrible as this is, I think it was really smart. He was, like, something has obviously happened here. Like, something is not right. The police need to see this before I do anything with it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as terrible as that is, that's smart. Right. Leave, try to leave it as intact as possible. Mm-hmm. No, that is very smart. Because, yeah, I mean, I would probably think the same thing. I'd be like, let's get this shit off of her. Yeah. Uh, so, the woman ran to the police. Um, she pointed to the uniform that they were wearing and said, he's one of you. Um, as she knew that the captor, the people that had been keeping her, uh, the man had also worn a uniform. Um, She told him that she didn't know where she had been, but she knew that the people that were holding her captive and repeatedly raping and beating her went by Dave and Cindy. Uh, This woman was 22-year-old Cynthia Vigil. And Cynthia, Cynthia, Mm -hmm. Cynthia Vigil. And she had been kidnapped days earlier when David pretended to be a police officer. Another park ranger heard the address on the radio and recognized that it was a park employee's home. Um, So he didn't know whose it was, but he was like, oh, I know that a park employee lives there. I will go check this out and see if I can help. So do-do-do, he's driving there. On the way, he passes a motorhome that's got two people inside. He recognizes them as 59-year-old David David Parker Ray and his girlfriend, Cindy Hendy. Uh, He gets to the address, realizes that it's David Parker Ray's home, and tells the police that he just saw them going the opposite way down the road, probably thinking that they'll just escape through the desert and skip on their merry way. Tra-la-la-la. Yeah, pretty much. So the police and this park ranger chase after David Parker Ray and Cindy Hindi. Um, and it's actually the park ranger that gets him to stop and pull over. So police surround him. They order him to step out of the vehicle. To which he yells back, this isn't necessary. Which, excuse me, they've been into your house. This is absolutely necessary. So he eventually gets out. He's immediately arrested. Uh, When Cindy gets out of the motorhome, there's a huge gash on her head, like, above her ear. Um, And she's taken to the hospital. Um, While she is taken to the hospital, uh, David is taken to a boat safety training center in the state park because it was closer and it had better resources than the local police department, Mm -hmm. which I mean, at this particular place in New Mexico, like all the towns are small. So, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Right. Uh, The New Mexico state police are called in 
And they order everyone not to talk to David or Cindy until they get to talk to Cynthia first. Um, So she's at the hospital. The entire time that she'd been there, she just kept repeating to herself, I'm safe here. Uh, She hadn't eaten for days. Her body was covered in cuts and bruises, burns, and puncture wounds. The collar uh, was what was causing her the most distress. Um, They had to have a hospital maintenance worker cut that off with bolt cutters. Um, Like I said, it was padlocked on. And when they did finally get it off of her, she she hucked it across the room. Um, and after it was removed, she calmed down significantly. Sure. Um, she was like free in a sense. Yeah. I would say even though she was, she's not in that place anymore. That's still It's something. Yeah. I I can't even imagine having something like that padlocked around my neck. It's just horrific. So Cindy Hindi is brought to the same hospital. Uh, And you can see where this is going. She is escorted right past Cynthia. So when Cynthia sees her, of course, she freaks the fuck out. Um, She starts screaming, that's her. Don't let her in. She's here for me. Uh, Cindy tells the doctor that she was hit by hit in the head by a lamp. uh, And then she was released, but not not just like released. Like they sent her back to the police. Um, But not before telling doctors that girl should be checked because that bitch is on heroin. Um, so then she was brought to the boat safety training center, which is where da- they were holding David as well. So then the police show up and Cynthia gives her statement. She tells them that at a young age, she lost her mother. Uh, they were super close. And so she turned to drugs as a way to cope. And through this, she had become estranged from most of her family and was working as a sex worker to get by. Um, and she admitted that she was a heroin user and that she had used heroin two days prior to her abduction. That's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. That, Just because you do drugs does not mean that you should be subjugated to crimes against you. Uh, yeah, that doesn't mean that you can be abducted. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that you're free and clear to abduct people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will circle back around to why that is important. So March 20th, between 10 and 11 a.m., she was walking to a restaurant in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when a man that she was kind of familiar with approached her, pointed to a motorhome, like across the parking lot or whatever, and told her that the man that was in there wanted to hire her for her services. She was like, well, I need the money. So she goes over there and talks to him. She described the man behind the wheel as, uh, he's got tan skin, he's older, um, he's got like sun-wrinkled skin, mm-hmm. uh, bushy mustache, slick back hair. And this is the exact description of David Parker Ray. So it's the, no mistake in it, this is who it was. Uh, they discussed price. Um, and he was like nice and normal from what she said. Um, I assume that she's like normal is like, yep, this is how this transaction goes. Nothing out of the ordinary. So they leave, once they leave the parking lot, he produces a badge and says that he is an undercover cop and that she's under arrest for solicitation. At this point, Cindy Hendy appears from behind a curtain because it's a motorhome, and tries to handcuff her or handcuff her. But Cynthia is like, you are not a fucking police officer. This is not how this goes down. So she fights back. Uh, David manages to get the cuffs on one of her wrists and drags her to the back of the RV. And he handcuffs her to, or tries to handcuff her to a pipe in the back, but she keeps fighting. So now Cindy pulls out a cattle prod and threatens her with that. Oh. So they get her handcuffed to this pipe. 
Uh, and now they drive off and Cindy Hindi is in the passenger seat. So Cynthia's in the back of the RV tied up or not, not tied up, but she's chained to that post. And so Cynthia is still struggling. And while she's doing this, she notices that the screws that are holding the pipe are loose. So she starts slowly unscrewing them until she takes them all out. Um, so she's able to slip the cuffs off of the pipe so that she can get free. I mean, she's still handcuffed, but she's not attached to that. Unfortunately, the motorhome comes to a stoplight and it stops. And that like slams her into a wall or something. And so she makes a sound and this gets Cindy's attention. So she comes back there um, and uses the cattle prod on her. So they subdue her, strip her naked, duct tape her mouth, and chain her to a different part of the RV. Uh, so they drive off now with her all, um, I keep wanting to say tied up. She's not tied up. Uh, she's chained so to, uh, yeah. Um, so they drive for a long fucking time. Um, Cindy, oh, they, they stop for gas once. Uh, Cindy holds a gun to her head and says that if they scream, they're just going to kill her. Uh, when all is said and done, they have driven 150 miles from where they have taken her to their home. Because they took her in Albuquerque. That's like three hours. Yeah, that's a long fucking time to be chained up naked in the back of an RV by strange people. Yeah. I, that had to have been terrifying. So they get to David Parker Ray's home. They pull the RV up very close to the house so that she can't get a good look at where she is or what's around her. And they shackle her ankles. And they... Um, they lead her into the living room where they attach the collar to her neck and the other end is attached to a hook on the wall over the bed. Uh, she's forced onto the bed and chained to the four corners, blindfolded and gagged. Then she hears a tape start to play and there's an audio recording. And this is like straight up jigsaw, jigsaw shit. Like it's real bad. Um, I have the transcript. I'm going to read some excerpts. It's really long and it's really graphic. Um, some so of again, just in case you guys don't heed the first two warnings. Yeah. It sounds like this is going to get pretty bad. So if you're squeamish or at all anything, um, I'm making a little note here. Skip to one hour, 36 minutes, 18 seconds. So you have been warned. Yep. Thrice. Um, and this was a, I, I feel like it said that, I read somewhere that it was a five-minute tape, but then I think I read somewhere else that it was... Do you have the actual tape? Lo uh, I mean, there's recordings of it online. I don't have that. Okay. I just have the transcript. I'd rather just listen to it um, read it. Yeah, and I've, I saw some that... Or I listened to one that had his voice on it, and it's real creepy. Um, I'm sure just listening to it will be enough. Uh, yeah. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You were disoriented and scared, too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993, as a general advisory tape for future female captives. That was like two months after I was born. Yeah. That was a while ago. Okay. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. And, and sorry, 
what what time frame is she hearing this message? It is 1999. Okay, so it's six years mm-hmm. at least. And the way that this is phrased, could allude- even longer till he got his. Yeah, say so the way that this is phrased is that he's been doing this for much longer before he made this tape. Okay, so a minimum of six years. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. If at a future date there are any major changes in our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. Now you are obviously here against your will, totally helpless. You don't know where you're at. You don't don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose, and you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think you're going to be raped, and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is in what you've got between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Sound kind of far out? Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated, but we'll do it all the time. But we do it all the time. It's got to take a lot of adjustment on your part, and you're not going to like it a fucking bit. But I don't give a big rat's ass about that. It's not like you're going to have any choice about the matter. You've been taken by force, and you're going to be kept and used by force. What all this amounts to is that you're going to be kept naked and chained up like an animal, to be used and abused any time we want to, any way that we want to. And you might as well start getting used to it, because you're going to be kept here and used until such time as we get tired of fucking around with you. And we will, eventually, in a month or two, maybe three. It's no big deal. My lady friend and I have been keeping sex slaves for years. We both have kinky hang-ups involving rape, dungeon games, etc. We've both found that it is extremely convenient to keep one or two female captives available constantly to uh, satisfy our particular needs. Uh, Moving on. We very seldom come back empty-handed, because there's plenty of bitches out there to choose from. And with a little practice and deception, most of them is very easy to get, with little risk. At this point, it makes little difference what category you fall into. You're here, and we're going to make the most of it. You're going to be kept in a hidden slave room. It is relatively soundproof, escape-proof, and it is completely stocked with devices and equipment to satisfy our sexual fetishes and deviations. There may or may not be another girl in the room. Occasionally, for variety, we like to keep two slaves at the same time. In either case, as a new girl, you'll definitely be getting the most attention for a while. Now, as I said earlier, you're going to be kept like an animal. I guess I've been doing this too long. I have been raping bitches ever since I was old enough to jerk off and tie little girls' hands behind their back. As far as I'm concerned, you're a pretty piece of meat to be used and exploited. I don't give a flying fuck about your mind or how you feel about this situation. You may be married, have a kid or two, boyfriend, girlfriend, a job, car payment. Fuck it. I don't give a rat's ass about any of that, and I don't want to hear about it. It's something you're going to have to deal with after you're turned loose. I make it a point never to like a slave, and I fucking sure don't have any respect for you. Here, your status is no more than that of one of the dogs or one of the animals out in the barn. Your only value to us is the fact that you have an attractive, usable body. And like the rest of our animals, you will be fed and watered, kept in good physical condition, kept reasonably clean and allowed to use the toilet when necessary. In return, you're going to be used hard, especially during your first few days while you're new and fresh. You're going to be kept chained in a variety of different positions, usually with your legs or knees forced wide apart. Skipping down some more, past some real gross stuff. Okay. Our fetishes and hangups include stringent bondage, dungeon games, a little sadism, nothing serious but uncomfortable and sometimes painful. Just a few little hangups that we like to use when we're getting off on a bitch. Heh heh. If you're a young teeny bopper and ignorant about fetishes and deviations, you're about to get an enlightening crash course in sex. Who knows? You may like some of it. 
It happens occasionally if we want to take the time and trouble even under these conditions. Most bitches can be brought to orgasm. Now I've already told you that you're going to be here a month or two or maybe three if you keep us turned on. If it's up to my lady, we'd keep you indefinitely. She says it's just as much fun and less risky, but personally I like variety. A fresh, pu a fresh pussy now and then to play with. We take four or five different girls each year, depending on our urges and sometimes accidental encounters. Basically, I guess we are like predators. We're always looking. Occasionally, some sweet little thing will be brought down on the side of the road. Walking, bicycle, walking, bicycling, jogging. Any time an opportunity like that presents itself and it's not too risky, we'll grab her. Even if we've already got a captive in the playroom. Variety is definitely the spice of life. Now I'm sure that you're a great little piece of ass and you're going to be a lot of fun to play with. But I will get tired of you eventually. If I killed every bitch that we kidnapped, there'd be bodies strung all over the country. And besides, I don't like killing a girl unless it's absolutely necessary. So I've devised a safe al alternative... Nope. So I've devised a safe alternate method of disposal. I had plenty of bitches to practice on over the years, so I've pretty well got it down pat. And I enjoy doing it. I get off on mind games. After we get completely through with you, you're going to be drugged up real heavy with a combination of sodium pentanol and phenobarbital. They are both hypnotic drugs that make you extremely susceptible to hypnosis, auto-hypnosis, and hypnotic suggestion. You're going to be kept drugged up, drugged a couple of days while I play with your mind. By the time I get through brainwashing you, you're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. You won't remember this place, us, or what happened to you. There won't be any DNA evidence because you'll be bathed and both holes between your legs will be thoroughly flushed out. You'll be dressed, sedated, and turned loose on some country road, bruised, heh, sore all over, but nothing that won't heal up in a week or two. The thought of being brainwashed may not be appealing to you, but we've been doing it a long time and it works. And it's the lesser of two evils. I'm sure you would prefer that in lieu of being strangled or having your throat cut. Okay, undoubtedly someone's going to be looking for you. There may or may not be a missing, pers missing persons report. But nobody's going to be looking for you here. They don't have any idea where you're at. They don't even know where you're at. We're always very careful about that. They are not going to be any knights in shining armor coming to rescue you. You are strictly on your own. And under the circumstances, I bet that is a scary thought. If there is another girl in the room, she won't be able to help you either. Because she gonna be, she's going to be in the same position you're in. As for escaping, I'm sure you'll try to figure out a way. That's human nature. But it's not hardly even worth talking about here. It would not be prudent on our part to have you running around in the woods screaming rape. It would be an embarrassment, to say the least. Consequently, you are going to be kept in an environment that is even more secure than a prison cell. If it had not already been done, very shortly a steel collar is going to be padlocked around your neck. It has a long, heavy chain that is padlocked to a ring in the floor. The collar will never be removed until you are turned loose. It's a permanent fixture. The hidden playroom, where you're going to be kept, has steel walls, floor, and ceiling. It is virtually soundproof and has a steel door with two keyed locks. The hinges are welded on and there are two heavy deadbolts on the outside. The room is totally escape-proof, even with tools. Any time that you are left unattended in the room, your wrists will be chained and there are electronic sensors to uh, let us know if you move around too much. And if that's not enough, there is a closed-circuit television system with a surveillance camera. It's wired to the main TV in the living room so we can check you once in a while or just sit and watch you for fun of, for the fun of it. Electronics is a wonderful thing. It's expensive, but hell, everything in the room is expensive and damn well worth it. If everyone knew how much fun it was to keep a sex slave, half the woman would be chained up in someone's basement. Anyway, we've had a lot of practice at this, uh, and we're not real concerned about you escaping. You're fucking sure not gonna go anywhere. 
Now, if you're not already naked, you soon will be. Your clothing will be bagged up and saved until such a time as we decide to turn you loose. As far as being naked goes, you might as well get used to it. For what you're going to be used for, clothing would just be in the way. Besides, I like watching a naked woman's body. All of it. Whether it be in a room or on the TV set. As I've already said, you'll be fed and watered on a regular basis. Not as much of either as you're used to. I thought I had a line here. Mm, not as much of either as you're used to, I'm sure, but enough to keep you healthy. You'll only be fed once a day, like the rest of the animals. And during the first few days until you adjust to it and your stomach shrinks up, you're going to feel a little weak and you'll be hungry all the time. It won't take long, three or four days. And during the first few days, you'll adjust to the environment. I prefer to keep you in a weakened condition anyway, now that you already know that you've been kidnapped and brought here for us to train to use as a sex slave. I realize that being abducted and forced and being forced into sexual slavery is a hard pill to swallow. Some girls really have a lot of trouble with it, and I'm sure that you sure that you will to a certain extent. But face it, you can't get away. You can't say no. You're going to be naked all the time. You won't be able to struggle or resist. You're going to have to lay there and take it, good or bad, no matter what is being done to you. A scary thought? Yes. But there are no options. Nothing that you can say or do will change the fact that it's going to happen. Many girls beg and plead. Almost all of them cry a lot, especially during the first three or four days. And some of them scream and threaten. But I have a poster on the wall in the playroom that says it all. If they're worth taking, they're worth keeping. And I'm going to tell you, just so you know, since you are being kept here against your will, we will never trust anything you say, do, or promise. You are a potential threat to us, and you always will be treated as such. On numerous occasions, bitches have told me they'd do anything I wanted them to do, if I'd just take the chains off. I've been offered ransom money, and I've even had girls tell me they liked it. But I like to use the chains, money... Uh, but I like to use the chains. Money's not the important... Money's not that important, and masochists are rare as hell. Heh <laughs> heh. I wonder what your scam's gonna be. Not anything that I haven't heard before, I bet, and if you get a chance to talk at all. Well, let's change the subject a little bit. You already know that for the most part you're gonna be kept in the playroom. But once in a while, while we like to take a captive to the bedroom, in, in chains, of course... Also, we have a couple of real close friends that we party with once in a while. They know about our hangups and don't have a problem with fucking a slave. You may be required to service them occasionally, but that one's, that's an easy one for the most part, just fucking and sucking. They don't get into the heavier stuff. However, when we have a party, sometimes I like to put on a little show that you won't like at all. You'll be taken into the living room and put on the floor on your hands and knees, naked. Your wrists, ankles, hips, knees, and hips will be strapped to a metal frame to hold your body in that position. The frame is designed for doggy fucking. Your ass up in the air, sex organs exposed, your tits hanging down on each side of a metal support bar. Knees spread about about 12 inches, positioned similar to that of a bitch dog in heat, right in the middle of the floor, so we can sit on the couch and in chairs and watch. I'm going to rub canine breeder's musk on your back, the back of your neck, and on your sex organs. Now I have three dogs, all of them's male, because I don't need any fucking pups. One of them is a very large German shepherd that is always horny, and he loves it when I bring him into the house to fuck a woman. After I let him in the house, he'll sniff around a little bit. Within a minute, he'll be mounting you. And then going down, because the rest of that is gross. Here, anything can happen, and often does. We like living in the mountains because it's quiet, secluded, private, and everybody's minding their own business. The only close house belongs to our friends, and they don't hear or see anything. Okay, let's talk about it. Uh, your training. The rules and punishment. Here you are a slave, and discipline is extremely strict. You're going to be given a set of rules that you can and cannot do, and you will learn to comply because each time you violate a rule, you will be punished. As soon as each rule is told to you, it will become law as far as you're concerned, and you know what's going to happen every time you fuck up. We'll use a couple of methods of punishment. A whip is an excellent training aid. 
so is an electroshock machine. Anytime you get out of line, one or both will be used on your body, and I assure you it will not be pleasant. There is not many rules, and they're very easy to remember, but you're going to make mistakes. Every slave does. I don't like repeat offenders. It gets me very upset. During the first few hours, the first time you violate a certain rule, and then the tape recording skips, a teaching process. The second time you violate the same rule, you'll be lightly punished, and the third time you violate it, it's going to be full punishment. After the first day, we won't cut you any slack at all. We will expect total obedience. Now let's start this off right. You are a slave. You don't realize it yet, but you will eventually. I'm your master and the lady is your mistress. You will be totally docile. You'll be very quiet and you'll speak only when spoken to. Never initiate conversation. Keep your mouth shut. Anytime you are spoken to, you will be required to respond and it will be with proper speech. Remember that we are in, in the dungeon game and as long as you are here, it's the only game in town. Anytime that you are asked a question where a yes or no answer is required, you will respond by saying, yes, master, no, mistress, no, master, etc. You will show proper respect. Having to use the word master or mistress may sound funny, petty, or vain to you, but that's all right. If you choose not to do it, you can laugh while you're being whipped or when your body is convulsing under the electroshock machine. You will respond to commands without protest or resistance. Do exactly what you're told, nothing else. Remember that you hear, remember that here you are a slave and failure to respond to a command will definitely get you in trouble. If I decide to rape you and your pussy or in your asshole, don't resist or struggle. When I tell you to spread your legs, you... Uh... Nope, I don't feel like I need to read the rest of that part. That's her. To be completely safe here, you have to be docile. If you should accidentally or otherwise hurt, scratch, or kick either one of us, you could be in very serious trouble. I'm sure that you want to survive this experience, and I want you to also. But you are expendable, and it's no big deal to go out and snatch a replacement. It may sound harsh and cold, but if you give us too much trouble or if you pose any kind of a threat, I won't have any qualms at all about slicing your throat. Like I said before, I don't like killing the girls that we bring here, but occasionally this happens. What can I say? I would really hate to have to dump that pretty little that pretty little body off in a canyon somewhere to rot. I'm not trying to scare you. That's just the way it is. I have prepared a questionnaire that I fill out with each new captive. Some of the questions are going to be embarrassing, but you should answer them truthfully and completely. You damn well better. I don't want to catch you in a lie. The questions will be in reference to your physical condition, any medical conditions that I'd need to know about, medications, sex habits, sexual preferences, any childbirths you might have had, period dates, and so forth. Now your training has already started. Each time I ask you one of those questions on the questionnaire, there's going to be a proper way to answer it, which, I tell, which I'll tell you about in a few minutes. While we go through the questionnaire, you're going to be strapped down to the, on the gynecology table. Your feet will be in the stirrups and your knees will be pulled wide apart with everything exposed. I like to keep a girl that way while she's answering the questions so I can examine and verify uh, anything she might tell me which would affect her use as a sex slave. If you do have any kind of medical conditions, by all means, let me know. We'll discuss it and we may make adjustments. We won't turn you loose, but we may make adjustments. We're probably going to be starting on this questionnaire pretty soon. You will be naked and as I said, you'll be strapped down on a gynecology table so you can't wiggle or squirm around. You will be talking quite a bit, answering the questions, so I'm sure we'll start your speech training at the same time. Consequently, before we start on the questionnaire, two small electrical clamps will be put on your nipples. Each time a question is asked, you will respond properly. And then moving down to the end, 
a lot of it will not be very pleasant for you, but you might as well get used to it because it's going to be like that for a while. Eventually, things will settle down a little. Then, just take it day by day. Well, I believe I've told you everything that I can. I cannot predict the future. I cannot predict changes of procedure, but this... But if this tape is being played for you, I have to assume that it is still reasonably accurate, and I can only give you advice. Be smart and be a survivor. Don't ever scream. Don't talk without permission. Be very quiet. Be docile and obedient, and by all means, show proper respect. Have a nice day. And that was some small excerpts of that tape that was played for any- can't even hear. It's fucking awful. And that was a tape that was played for every girl that they kidnapped and held captive from 1993 or later. Uh, and I've, I read through the whole transcript because I had to find the parts that I felt were okay to read. Um, and I tried to find the parts that were, that basically outlined his crimes. Yeah. And they're, if you want to go find the transcript out there, it is on the internet to read. It's not good reading. Uh, I will probably burn this paper. It was awful. We can help you with that. <laughs> it, ugh. There's, no, that's fucking disgusting. There's, this guy is a real sick fuck. Yeah. No, he was literally just about humiliating. And you can and tell, destroying you can tell by his tone that he thinks that every person around him is there for whatever he wants to do to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way that he spoke to Cynthia and on the tape, she could tell that this was not his first time. Oh, for sure. He knew what he was doing and well, said that he would kill her like the others. And from the way that it is on the tape, it, it sounds like they have it down to a very specific procedure and like it's almost mechanical and i can't even imagine having no it's doing it just like this often it yeah not only does it feel like he has it down to a science but he literally has like a workflow with how long mm-hmm. he sees people and like he's like here's what will happen here's what we'll do at the very end this is what will happen mm-hmm. like arrogance mm-hmm. through the window and how how many times did this happen to a point where it was like, wow, it would just save me so much time if I made a tape? Yeah, so having to explain it to them uh-huh. over and over again, probably while they were screaming. Mm-hmm. We're begging for them to stop. So she was led into a room with torture equipment mixed in with medical equipment. Uh, she was hung by chains from the ceiling and sexually assaulted and tortured while hanging. They administered electrical shocks using an old meter, meter motor with clamps Uh, for an extended period of time that were strong enough to cause her to pass out several times. Uh, When they were not actually assaulting her... That could not have been good for her brain. Or for her, like... For any part of her. Yeah. Your body is not made for that. I wonder if she had any, like, issues with moving muscles or some parts of her body. From, like... Because, like, you're going to have degradation of, like, your myelin sheath at some point. I didn't read anything like that. Um, Because, like, that... Like, I mean, that's just... But most everything was focused on this, like, the particular crimes, not life afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, When they were not actively assaulting her, they would chain her to the bed by all four limbs and neck, and then sit on the couch next to her and watch TV. 
Uh, David Parker Ray took multiple photos while everything was happening, and then he would also show her pictures of other women that he had tortured. On the morning of March 22nd... Um, he just wants validation. Ugh. I, ugh. Ugh. And this is why the reason I wanted to do this case is because this woman is incredible. She is such a badass. The things that she went through and the way that she escaped is mind-blowing. Okay. So the morning of March 22nd, okay. uh, Cynthia woke up and saw David Parker Ray wearing a uniform, uh, which this was his park ranger uniform, and he told her that he had a surprise for her, which was his toy box. This had been discussed vaguely around her, but she didn't know what this meant. So before he left for work, thinking that she was too weak and exhausted to try anything, uh, he removed the chains from her legs and arms, but left the collar. Uh, He left her alone with Cindy for the day. Uh, Cindy mostly just watched TV, but around 3 p.m. the phone rang. Uh, She answered it, and when she she was just, like, talking on the phone, uh, she got up and went to the other room. When she did this, she left the keys to Cynthia's restraints on the coffee table. Oh my god, no way. So Cynthia reaches out her leg and hooks it around the coffee table and very carefully pulls it towards her, grabs the keys. Um, But then she stops for a minute. She's like, she could come in at any minute. So Cindy could come in at any minute. So she slowly starts to push the coffee table back so that if Cindy does come in, she won't notice that something is different and hopefully won't be aware that those keys are missing. Mm-hmm. However, this is when Cindy comes in. Uh, she's pushing it back? Uh-huh. Um, so Cindy is obviously upset about this. Sure. And she lunges at her. Um... And she grabs, hold on. Right, so Cindy comes in, lunges at Cynthia, and this is where it gets confusing because Cindy and Cynthia. Um, Cindy lunges at Cynthia. Right. Cindy grabs a nearby lamp and hits Cynthia over the head with it. Uh, with so all, Cindy hits the victim. Correct. The okay. uh, with all of the adrenaline, Cynthia said that she didn't even feel it. Um, Because she was just so hyped up about the prospect of getting out. Right. And Uh, it's all she's living mm -hmm. for at this point when she has to get out. Cynthia grabs the phone that Cindy had dropped and dials 911. So this is that hang-up call that the operator got. Oh my gosh. So when she calls... Okay, I'm falling, I'm falling. Yeah, so then when the the operator is hearing the sounds of a struggle Uh uh, and then it hangs up, that's what she's hearing. Uh So then when Cindy goes to end the call Cynthia grabs a nearby ice pick which okay who keeps an ice pick in their living room I mean I keep it to stoke the fireplace I, I it's not I mean you'd think it's not it doesn't belong but, but also who keeps all of this other shit yeah like people like a freaking what what they say a a gyne, a gynecological That's not in table? the living room I know, I know, but, like, like the amount of stuff yes. they have, I mean, it's worth thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Like, tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, they they got a lot of weird shit there. But the fact that the ice pick was by the bed concerns me. I, it all concerns me, but that, uh-huh. it's, it's just a weird... Anyways, Cynthia grabs the ice pick and hits Cindy in the head with it. Uh, so while Cindy is dazed, she unlocks the chain. She hits it with the blunt end? I have no idea. It didn't say, just the ice pick. 
um, whichever end that she, she tried to punch her with the ice pick. Whichever end that she hit her with is the one that gave her the gash above her ear. Oh. Uh, yeah, so she tried to hit her and just gla- gleamed off. Oh, maybe. Um, I mean, keep in mind that she also hasn't eaten for three days. Yes. So, however hard she can swing the ice pick too. Yeah. Uh, while Cindy is dazed, she unlocks the chain and runs out of the house. Um, so not like the the chain at the collar end, but the chain at the wall end. So she runs out of the house and she keeps running until she gets to the home of Darlene and Donald. And that's the elderly couple. And I think I've heard some conflicting reports that she tried to like, get into other people's cars. Um but I also have heard where it was just people saw her running down the road. So I don't know if she tried to flag anyone down on the road or not. Uh, so she gets to Darlene and Donald's house. Uh, they described her as her wrists looked like hamburger meat. She was she had beautiful long brown hair and it was all matted with blood. She was dirty all over. Her breasts were black and blue and there were bruises covering or there were more bruises covering her arms and legs. Uh, Donald gave her a robe and Darlene called 911. Um, and while this was happening, Cynthia was shivering, hiding under the table. So this interview took place before the investigators spoke to David or Cindy. Uh, when questioned, they both admitting to kidnapping her, but they claimed that it was because they were trying to help her kick her heroin addiction. And they only chained her up because they were trying to help her get through withdrawals. Which bullshit that's, that's the only thing they had though because they knew that they had her kidnapped mm-hmm. like how else could they explain that so they knew they had to at least can mm-hmm. they had to admit something mm-hmm. like so, no we were just playing I, no <sighs> obviously no one believed this because that is the dumbest shit uh, so they were both charged with one count of kidnapping one count of assault one count of criminal sexual penetration and two counts of conspiracy after being charged, they were transported. Transported. That happened again. So after being charged, they were transported to the Sierra County Criminal Detention Center, where they quit talking and cooperating. Mm-hmm. March twenty third, the search warrant for David Parker Ray's residence was approved. Um, so it was basically just double wide trailer. Uh, the clothes Cynthia was wearing when she was kidnapped were found in the bedroom. And there were also 401 other items that did not belong to either David or Cindy. 401? Mm Mm-hmm. And when they say items, like just, I mean, assuming individual items, because they probably don't know, like, Correct. So, like, jewelry, clothes, women's accessories, things like that, um, that did not belong to David or Cindy. Next to the house was a 25-foot semi-truck trailer locked with a huge steel deadbolt on the door. Uh, inside, they found David Parker Ray's toy box. So go ahead and open up the drive. Okay. Where am I looking? Uh, open up that middle picture. This is a picture of the toy box. Um, this in particular shows the gynecology chair, which is very obviously handmade. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah, the... And the other two pictures are just other shots of the inside of the semi-trailer. This is inside of the trailer? Uh-huh. So, like, I'm looking here, and, I mean, like, there's a chair in the middle, of course. There's, like, straps, lamp. I don't know what the fuck 
most of the shit is. It's hard to hard to tell from this angle. And I see belts. Mm-hmm. Um and the the other picture are just a couple of other shots of the inside of the trailer. Uh, so the the main feature was a DIY gynecology chair on a track so it could move uh, back and forth. What's this? Uh, it was black, had stirrups and electrodes and straps all over it. A large mirror was above the chair on the ceiling so that the victim could see what was being done to them. On the wall were signs that said Satan's Den and the Bondage Room. And every square inch was covered with various instruments of torture, such as leg spreaders, leather belts, paddles, clamps, sandpaper, branding iron, saw blades, needles, suction cups, whips, speculums, forceps, syringes. Speculums? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, bottles of ammonia. And There's a whole bunch of medical equipment mm-hmm. as well. As well as sex toys made from wood, metal, and plastic. Why wood? Why any of this? I know, I know. That was the dumbest thing to say, but just... A 15-inch motorized dildo was found. It had three levels. Oh, what do you mean by 15-inch? I need you to explain. Not wide. Long. 15-inch. Uh-huh. Motorized. And I may have actually just gestured exactly 15 inches with my hands. Possibly. Uh, I did see a picture of this one, and I never want to see that again. 15-inch dildo? Mm-hmm. Um... Motorized. And it had... Motorized? Yes, three levels. Buzzer, light, and probe. All of those sound terrible. Buzzer, light, probe. Uh Uh-huh. On a 15-inch dildo. Yep. I I want you to think about this. Like, like, for those of you that, like, like, that don't understand, like, or maybe it's just hard for you to fathom, what is 15 inches even? 15 inches would be about from the bottom of, like, your pelvis, Mm -hmm. where... Your bits are at to above your belly button. Easy, like like right here. Yeah, that seems that's about about right. fifteen inches. Yeah, you only got so much room in there. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this back All around the to places a comedy you podcast. won't go. <laughs> I gotta keep something lighthearted. I know. Here. I was like, that's all I got. <laughs> We're supposed to be a comedy podcast. What am I doing? True crime. Uh, where was I? Ah, there were ropes, pulleys, and chains everywhere. One corner had a wooden contraption made to forcibly bend a victim over, which uh, you heard about that on the transcript. There were also medical tests, text, medical texts, uh, perfume, mouthwash, lipstick, baby lotion, shampoo, and porn mags all over. Interesting. He has stuff to clean. Uh huh. Uh, a cork board was covered in photos of tortured women, and on the walls were drawings. Uh, oh, on the walls were drawings, medical photos, and detailed methods of torture. One drawer pulled out to reveal a slab like uh, one you'd find in a morgue. A list was found on the wall detailing how to use a mechanized tool to inflict maximum damage to a victim's breasts. Uh, and the the maximum damage. Uh huh. I listened to one podcast where they read the list, and it was real gnarly. Um, Like, so basically the way to damage someone's breast, like, in the most optimized way. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So this, it says... What's the goal there, even? Like, is it just to... I don't know. This process is very painful, and due to the constant motion, 
the body will not adjust to the pain. During this process, the subject will remain in very painful duress. That is the point of this. It is torture. A sign above the list said the lure of Satanism. And I feel like after this happened, uh, or after this was discovered, the Church of Satanism was like, whoa, hold on, guys. Not one of us. Um, uh, and two skulls were nearby with candles, which one of those pictures you can see. Yeah. It's this, like, janky Halloween it's, dollar it store piece. It the Halloween Express. Yeah. It's like what it is. It looks like, like a It's like a skull candelabra. dollar can yeah, candelabra. Like, it might be, like, an electrical one as well. But yeah, it's definitely you. Can, it almost uh-huh. dollar store material. It does. On there. Uh, like, that's almost laughable. One wall had a long black robe with a red cape, oh, hey, look at and that. a Barbie doll wrapped in chains, and a clipboard with a list of names. Uh, another. I sure hope he didn't figure out human anatomy through a Barbie doll because that's uh, fucked up. Like their proportions are. Well, he had all of his medical texts. Uh, another paper contained words of encouragement for David. Words of encouragement. Remember, mm. a woman will do or say anything to get loose. They will kick, scratch, offer money, bite, yell, beg, scream, run, offer sex, threaten, lie, wait for opportunity. Standard excuses are sob stories, menstruating, pregnant, venereal disease, AIDS, sick, kids with babysitter, have to work, a sick baby, sick parent, claustrophobia, missed by husband or friend, bad heart, can't miss school, don't let her get to you. If she is worth taking, she is worth keeping, and she must be subjected to hypnosis before the woman can be safely released. Never trust a chained captive. An old TV was at the end of the torture chair, as well as a mounted video camera, and the entire trailer had been soundproofed. So at this point, they discover this, and they're like... Oh, fuck. So they call in the FBI. Um, well, yeah. I mean, at this point, they're like, this is so fucking out of yeah. jurisdiction. So the FBI goes to town just this is definitely trying to, lines. yeah, trying to process this mountain of information or this uh, evidence because there's so much going on here. Um, as well as the behavioral science unit, they get involved. Oh, the so, mm-hmm. so at this point, when the behavioral science unit comes in cindy hindi is like yeah no no i'll talk to you guys so she agrees to be interviewed uh she said that she did know that david was dangerous when they got together uh he told her that he'd been doing this for about the past 30 or 40 years Uh, he made it clear that he felt that he owned all the women around him and that their sole purpose was to give him pleasure he told her about his first murder which was when he was in his early 20s or late teens so they estimate Uh, when he was about 19 or 20. Uh, He abducted a girl, tied her to a tree where he raped, beat, and strangled her to death. He told Cindy that he became aroused by this and he enjoyed it. So from that point on, he pretty much just kept going. Um, But he didn't select his victims at random anymore. How old was he when he got caught? 59. So almost 40 years. Mm -hmm. Um, He would, he pretty much, he liked to target sex workers. Because their disappearance was less likely to be noticed or investigated. Sure, because they're probably less off. They don't have any friends or family. Mm-hmm. Or they've, you know, they've been estranged. Uh-huh. Um, also, that stupid notion that... 
I feel like they talk about this on CSI a lot too, where they're like, oh, people think that sex workers don't matter. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's so frustrating. Anyways. Uh, he did have a type and he liked to abduct, abduct women that match that type. Uh, he liked women of Asian or Latina descent with large breasts. Cindy Hendy is none of these things. She is just like standard white girl, pretty much. Uh, he at one point lived in Fence Lake, New Mexico, which is a pretty small town, and it's mostly farm and ranch land, and he owned a, I think he owned, like, some ranch land or something. Uh, he told her that while he was there, he had been questioned by the FBI in connection to the disappearance and homicide of several women in the area. Uh, they were coming in on a tip that he was involved in some sort of human trafficking slave ring, and the tip claimed that Ray had been collecting women and trafficking them out. Uh, this tape tip this tip allegedly came from his daughter jesse ray so remember that because that's gonna that's gonna circle around later Uh not in a good way there wasn't any real tangible evidence so the fbi investigation pretty much went cold and he told this to cindy proudly saying that he'd talked his way out of it so basically yeah look what i did i got away scot-free after that he left the uh, after he left that he became a bit of a drifter um, and he was using a police badge wherever he went to kidnap women. Um, and I think this could contribute to the lack of bodies because, I mean, it, if you're a drifter, it's going to be real hard to find stuff. Uh, he told Cindy that he had killed more than 30 women over 40 years, at least 18 in Sierra County, but he said that women's bodies could be found in Texas, Arizona, and Alaska. Um, he kept or he was meticulous when it came to removing any connection of him to the victims and the crimes Mm -hmm. um, because he didn't want it to be traced back to him Uh, he told her about shooting women in the head dumping bodies uh, but he wouldn't tell her where anyone was Uh, he made the most of uh, he made most of the devices in his toy box uh, since he was a mechanic Uh, the leg spreader that he made had spikes that would stab into the victim if they tried to close their knees Um, And he had what he called a Freddy Krueger glove, which was a glove that had blades attached to it. Um, He fashioned a dildo out of a PVC pipe and melted nails onto it, or into it. Oh my god. Uh, He was also into bestiality, which was mentioned in the tape. Uh, He used that contraption to forcibly bend victims over, and he would have parties where people would come over, and it was... The yeah the the event was just watching this person be victimized by a dog which is also animal abuse so there's no one wins in this situation this is fucking awful and disgusting uh he took lots of photos and then he would destroy sets of photos when he had kidnapped a new girl um i assume this is because he didn't want to get caught mm-hmm. um but he also kept meticulous like Results? journals yeah like going back to his childhood where he was always journaling. He kept meticulous details, including just like weird clinical info, like height, weight, age of his victims. Uh, Cindy claimed that she was not present for any of the murders, but then later this changed and she admitted to being there. Uh, David Parker Ray was known to all of his coworkers to be just like a quiet, friendly guy that, you know, he'd go out of his way to help you out, whatever. Mm-hmm. And his boss was actually so surprised when this ha- 
like when he was charged with this that he didn't believe any of it and was like well while he's going through this we'll just put him on like paid leave because he they didn't think this was true roy's sister roy ray's sister however was not surprised um and she referred back to those drawings that she found when she was a child and at 14 he admitted to her that he couldn't have sex with anyone without hurting them uh the journals had dates and locations but no names uh, he wrote down the number of times that he tortured each woman. Uh, and then the news picked this up. And obviously this was like immediately national news. Crazy everywhere. Um, and this led to a woman named Angelica Montano coming forward. Uh, she was a former resident of Truth or, Truth or Consequences and had been friends with Cindy Hindi. February 1999, Cindy invited Angelica back to her house to hang out. Uh, David and Cindy ambushed her when she got there and chained her up. They kept her for four days, and Cindy helped Ray the entire time. Uh, she begged for her life and said that she had a young child to care for, and Cindy eventually softened to this and convinced David to drop her off alive, so they dropped her off in the middle of nowhere. And so she started hitchhiking, trying to get to her mother's house. She ended up being picked up by an off-duty police deputy. Uh, she told him the entire story. He thought that it was crazy and didn't believe her and didn't report it. So you're telling me that there was actually a time where he could have been caught earlier, but someone didn't believe someone that was making an accusation? Yeah, this was the month the month before uh, Cynthia was taken. See, and it's funny. I've had, I've had these conversations with people before, and, um, and I hope I don't offend anyone at all. Um, but th- th- there are a lot of people who say, like, always believe the victim. And part, most of me says, not necessarily, like, but you need to take it seriously regardless. Like, you treat them like a, you treat them like a person, mm-hmm. you respect their position, you don't doubt them necessarily, but it doesn't mean you have to accept, like, if I were to say, hey, someone stole my car, no one's gonna believe someone stole my car, they're going to investigate that mm-hmm. the car was stolen, and they're gonna treat me like a person until they find out what actually happened. And the problem is that is that nothing's getting investigated. They're just yeah. blowing it off. Yeah. So, like, it, it sounds like in that case, this off-duty person did not take this person seriously. No, he was like, this sounds crazy, I don't believe it. Yeah, everything's crazy till it's true. There's a slight drop-off. So, this led to investigators thinking that there could be you know, more victims than they even have any idea about. So they ended up releasing um, some, like, videos and images that they had found. um, And it was, redacted isn't the right word, but, like, super blurred out or fuzzy, just, like, looking for, like, do you recognize these identifying features? Uh Um, And they found this video of a woman that had a super distinctive swan tattoo on her calf. Um, so they put this out on the TV and a woman called in and said, that's my tattoo. Uh, so Kelly Garrett had been friends with Jesse Ray, but said that she had never been to the Ray residence. Uh, the tape mentioned that victims would be drugged with a concoction to prevent them from clearly remembering anything. Uh, but Kelly had been having weird nightmares where she had been she was chained up and gagged and she was just like, well, this is real weird. I don't know what that's about. Um, so in 1996, she'd been living in elephant butte with her husband at the time. 
Uh, they had an argument and she left to blow off steam at the local bar uh, that Jesse Ray liked to hang out at. At the end of the night, Jesse Ray offered to give her a ride home to, on her motorcycle, uh, but that she needed to make a quick stop at her dad's house. So when they got there, Kelly just waited in the living room while Jesse was talking to her dad. But then David and Jesse came out, came at her with weapons and duct tape. They incapacitated her and put her in the toy box. After so Jesse was also a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after three days, David loaded her up into his park ranger truck and then dropped her off at her in-laws' house, saying that he found her wandering the beach. And Kelly didn't report it because she couldn't remember anything. Um, so she'd started to believe that it was all just a weird dream that she'd had. Um. And so, like I said, that was 1996, and Jesse had been helping him. The tape says it was made in 1993, but at this point, he didn't know Cindy. So I think it's pretty likely that whenever he talks, like, whenever he's referring to his lady on the tape, it's probably Jesse. So that's real fucked up. Yeah. Uh, after Kelly came forward, Jesse Ray was arrested. April 6th, 1999, Cindy took a plea deal and told them that David introduced her to his desire for torture very early on in their relationship, but she said that she was so infatuated with him that she went along with it. Within a month of moving in, she helped to abduct several women and knew that at least 14 of them were murdered. Uh, he told her that he'd been using Elephant Butte State Park to dispose of bodies, and he told her that he'd learned that in order to keep a body from surfacing or floating up to the surface of a body of water. Deja vu. What? This. Oh. Sorry? I mean it. Is it? No, it looks like it's still picking up something. Yeah, no, it's still going. Okay. Um, no, that's just really weird. Sorry, continue. No, that's fine. Um, so to prevent it from floating, you have to uh, eviscerate the body cavity so that it can't... Store any air bubbles uh, yeah. inside of it. Yeah. Uh, so after hearing this, the police and FBI immediately start searching the state park and the lake. But that area is so expansive that they still haven't found anything yet. And I, I think I read somewhere that the lake itself is like 23 miles long. And it's drained the lake. It's, the lake is one of the largest man-made lakes, I think, in the country. So there's that. And it, then it's just this huge expanse of desert area. Mm -hmm. uh, Cindy also said that Ray had another accomplice. Roy Yancey, uh, he was a real shitty kid. Uh, Truth or Consequences actually once canceled Halloween because he and some other teens were out killing cats and destroying tombstones. So they were like, nope, you can't go trick-or-treating. It's too dangerous for kids. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, when questioned about any involvement, he pretty much rolled over immediately and said that he was only involved in one murder, and this was Marie Parker. Roy had been dating Marie, and they went to a 4th of July party in 1997 at David Parker Ray's house. Everyone was drunk, and Marie was drugged. David made Roy drag Marie to the toy box. Uh, he held a gun to Roy's head and handed him a rope and said, you know what you have to do. Uh, so David then drove Roy and Marie's body to Monticello Canyon, and they buried her there. Uh, Roy agreed to lead them to the burial site, uh, but then when they searched it, they didn't find anything. Uh, Roy said that he 100% believes that Ray went back and dug it up and moved it somewhere else. Because, I mean, someone else knowing where that was is a liability to him. And he's meticulous to keep any connections. Mm -hmm. 
so while getting ready for trial, David had been doing things in jail. Five months before the trial for the torture and rape of Kelly Garrett, they got word that Roy was no longer going to cooperate. Uh, he had received an anonymous note while he was in jail that said, rats die in jail. Uh, prosecutors are sure that it was from David. So instead of testifying against him, Roy just went ahead and pled, gir- pled guilty to second degree murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so November 1991, the DA gets word that Cindy Hindi is recanting her confession. Uh, David had started smuggling love letters to her in jail. And that was when she recanted her confession. She was sentenced to 36 years for the kidnapping and torture of Kelly Garrett and Angela Montano. Uh, Kelly testified at her own wet at her, her own wedding, fuck, at her own trial, and said that she didn't want David Parker Ray to get the death penalty because she wanted him to suffer like she did. Uh, his lawyers, and this is so fucked up, his lawyers claimed that it was consensual, which on the video it's very obvious that this girl is drugged and out of her mind. And it's not consensual at all. Uh, They convinced some of the jurors that it was for exchange of money or drugs. So the jury ended up deadlocked and it went to mistrial. Um, It went to mistrial? uh Uh-huh. David Parker Ray had three separate trials before he finally went to jail or went to prison. How many years did that take to get through? Um... Because court's not, like, it's not fast. They don't just start pumping them from, through multiple trials. Two or three. Took three years after they found this guy. Um, so I'm in 2002. Yes. Um, which that's a real kick in the crotch that I'll get to later. Uh, Cynthia V. Hill testified at her own trial as well. And right before the jury was going to break, the defense says that the decided or the defense was like, actually, we're just going to plead guilty to all the remaining charges if Jesse Ray will be released with time served. And he was sentenced to 224 years in prison. So was that a no? Uh, Well, no. So they they did like they made that bargain. He was sentenced to 224 years. Mm hmm. Um, Here's the real shitty thing. Uh, Jesse Ray pled no contest to kidnapping charges in 2001 and was sentenced to two and a half years in prison with five years of probation. Uh, What? As you are wont to do, Ray found God while he was serving his time. Fuck that. No, we didn't. Uh We didn't find shit. And in 2002, he decided that he was ready to talk and tell them about, you know, where all of these bodies were. So they set up a meeting... And right before that meeting, he died of a heart attack. He served eight months of his sentence. And that's it. In 1990. How did he die? Heart attack. Oh. It says he died of a heart attack. Okay. That's. I hate you just keep going. Give it a hot second. I think at that point he would have been 62 or 63. Oh. Uh, In 1995, Jesse Ray's girlfriend disappeared, and investigators now believe that she had been taken to the toy box and probably murdered. And I think, if I'm remembering correctly, part of the way that this whole thing kind of started snowballing was Cindy Hindi wanted to go on a trip to see her eldest daughter because she was giving birth to her first grandchild. 
and uh, David Ray Parker or David Parker Ray was like, yeah, sure, you can go do that. Go do that. We just got to find me a sex slave first. And I think that was the beginning of their their partnership. I don't know. They're working together to be collective pieces of shit. All this just sucks. Yeah. So that is the toy box killer. God. And I never want to think about that again. But I also feel like that's a story that needs to be told because there are so many women out there that have disappeared that nobody knows about. And they're just, they're gone. And that's not fair. And I think, I think the nice thing, I think you did this in a very elegant way as well, because you covered a lot of the shit without going into details as to like, really like how to replicate said torture, mm-hmm. which a lot, a lot, of, I don't want to say a lot. There, there have been some either like movies or shows and stuff where they go almost too into detail mm-hmm. and stuff. And then you start getting like these weird copycats. Well, yeah, and stuff, stuff turns into like torture porn and it's just not, Yeah, like, I don't, I don't like to watch those kinds of movies mm-hmm. that are just gory for gore's sake. Right. Or where they're just like, I'm going to tell you this just because it's shocking. And the other thing is that you kept it very factual and you kept it very, you kept it as clean as you could. Which that and was real hard. That was really hard. This guy but is a real think, piece of shit. I think with how you covered it, it was the most digestible way to take it in. Well, Personally, because this, that whole I thing I appreciate is trash. that because it's, Cause the, I can absolutely. Stuff, I mean, he's there he was an irredeemable piece of I can absolutely understand why nobody would oh, no, want, why you would not want to cover this. I mean I know there's certain things that you didn't tell me on that and also I'm perfectly fine with that mm-hmm. them. Uh, yeah. Like I said, if you want to read the entire transcript, you can do that. It's rough. It ugh. It's real gross. I just yeah, I'm glad at least someone got away. And that they got away. And but it's like how many how many women did he kill versus how many that got away? Well, how many people don't even remember this? Let's if we were to you say this for forty years, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and just say that he I'm gonna lowball it, but keep the pattern the same. He said he gets four to five slaves a year. Mm-hmm. And he does for forty years, so that means that he at le- there's a potential of at least hundred and sixty people if. Mm-hmm. He kept that number from the start. That's probably too high. And when he maybe a hundred. When he was finally caught, they had Angelina Mont- Montano in February, and then Cynthia Vihill in March. Right. So that's and so he easily could have escalated. He could have had more, more yeah. than four or five because that was of reporting in 1993. He could have escalated to be, mm-hmm. have been more frequent. And they said they found 401 articles of clothing. Let's just assume it comes Well, not, with, not of clothing, well, just, well, sorry, article, of, of just items that items. didn't... Yeah. So if I were to just say, let's say, shoes, pants, shirt, underwear... So there's probably maybe four items or so a person, and that that could be even yeah. more. That's more. about 100 people. Yeah. Maybe that's... lower, you know? But, I mean, that's still... That's prolific. Like, that's a mm-hmm. lot of fucking people. But here's the thing. Everywhere that you look, it refers to him as an alleged serial killer because they never found any bodies. Right. So he didn't actually show any bodies. He may have killed Uh one or two people, but it wasn't enough to be 
Right. Mm. I just wonder how many people don't have closure about what happened to their loved ones. Or think that they just disappeared when in actuality they were killed. I feel like those are the worst stories too, are the ones that you don't know where they went. It's, Mm -hmm. It's just like, they're gone. And you'll never know why. Yeah. I, those are the most heartbreaking stories. Like uh, like Bobby Dunbar, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you don't know. I mean, it sounds like that one person wasn't actually Bobby Dunbar. Uh-huh. But you'll never know what happened to Bobby, Bobby Dunbar. Yeah. That's just such a horrible ugh. way to go. It, uh, yeah. To just exist and then just be gone. And this like stories. It's like, it's like having a it's like having a book and like you're reading through it and then it just stops. Yeah, just or there's just pages. a whole chapter missing. Yeah, stories like this are what makes me feel like we just need to burn the planet down and start over because mm. humanity is trash. But on the flip side, you've got people like Cynthia that fought tooth and nail to get out. Mm-hmm. And then you have that elderly couple who helped her. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, maybe not all humans are garbage, but also humans are garbage. Yeah. Significant amount of humans are garbage. Yeah. Ugh. There should be less of that. I hate this. <sighs> Shall we uh, Let's roll it. for next episode? I'm ready for it. All right. I'm hoping for something happier. I got a two. Did you really? I sure did. Why the fuck did you do that? I don't know. Do that. It's fine. I, I'll are just... Are you sure? I'll just cover a happy You wanted time. a two. You wanted it so bad. It's fine. I've got lots of true crime I can cover that don't involve shitty things like this. Cool. I ever wonder, I I don't know what happened to Soldier Boy. I don't know if he ever got charged or anything like that. I've always been in, I need to look that up. Actually, you can look that up. Uh, I'm going to roll. I'm just going to roll. You guys all know. I forgot to say what I was rolling. Oh yeah, what are you rolling? Uh, I feel like these are probably a set of HD dice or something. Are those the ones that came that were a bit more bland than the, like the ones that were like missing their lettering? Or like they're, because you had a couple that just came that looked really tacky. They don't necessarily look tacky, but they. Um. No. Those were the different ones. No, that oh. was a, that was a Kickstarter. Was that that was the. Uh, oh, that the, was the 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 elder dice. Yeah. Yeah, which I was disappointed with because I liked the first ones a lot. Because the first ones... set looked really pristine. They looked really yeah. boss. And I don't know these ones. I don't know if they it's... rushed through them or maybe they changed producers or, yeah. or manufacturers or something. It just but looked a little tackier. I was less impressed with it, so I probably. I mean, I I didn't back the next thing they did, so. And I was real excited about this one. I mean, I still I love their game mats. They're those are so cool. Game mats are really cool. Yeah. But. Uh, I'll there's, give myself one of those. There's better dice out there. Anyways, I think these are HD. I got these off Amazon. They're like tealy and purple. The ink on them is blue. I will probably change that because on the sides that are more teal, it's kind of hard to read. That's what I was curious about. I was like, the blue just doesn't... Yeah. And when I looked at them online, I was like, I'll probably change that. Like a that. white or a gold might be... I was thinking maybe a silver. A silver would be nice, yeah. Yeah, or possibly a neon. All right. The dice. I don't need to say <laughs> which dice, dice I'm rolling. It is the dice for this show. I can never use it for anything else. <laughs> well, it wouldn't unless, make sense. Unless we were to create well, a game. We no, could create, we totally like... could because they each have numbers assigned to them. There's no numbers on here, though. Yeah, but you know what they are. Right. I guess, yeah, okay, you well, could. Okay, well, I know what they are. <laughs> I don't. Entertainment. Entertainment. That's a six, in case you were wondering. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to say entertainment. Well. <laughs> Why are you twitching? I'm dying inside. 
<laughs> it's very late. <laughs> Tell nope. me about it. I know. It's fine. I'm just excited to not have to think about David Parker Ray again. Oh, that's good. I've already erased him from my memory. But it's like... As, as he should be. Yeah. But then I feel bad because that's like coming from a point of privilege where those, some people don't have the luxury of just forgetting about him. That's true. But I guess that's how crime goes. Wow. We're ending on such a I, sad moment. Oh. Uh, God. So, I think I told you this joke already, but I just gotta, gotta bring the mood up somehow. Uh, we were somewhere and John said something about pears. And oh my god. And he said, uh, so, the mother and father of a pair, are those the parents? <laughs> Ew. I had a real good pun the other day, too, and I don't remember what it was. John did not like it. It was a, it was a real groaner. I think he actually asked for a divorce. <laughs> a divorce. It was, like, this is it. It was that kind, of a, that kind of a bad joke. Man. Yeah. No. The only thing that I can think of that was remotely happy was... Uh, so, for my family, uh, we on Easter, we have an Easter egg hunt for the kids, and then we have an Easter egg hunt for the adults. And how that one works is you go in pairs, and you have someone blindfolded, and the other person, without touching them, they have to guide you. So they have to tell oh. you where to go and like, to follow their voice and stuff. That's how you walk people and, into trees. Yeah, and Jules would stop talking every so often, and I kept running into her. <laughs> So she'd be stop touching me. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then she told me to come over here, but then she wouldn't tell me to stop, so I just keep going until I <laughs> ran back into her. Just like stop. That was pretty funny. I don't know, my well my side of the family this is fine. But John's side of the family can't get their heads around that we aren't religious and we don't celebrate <sighs> Easter and it's just not our not our deal. We didn't even know Easter was this Sunday until like four days Dude, ago. I fucking love chocolate. I mean, okay, but like, I don't have to have Easter to have chocolate. <laughs> I can appreciate the sales after Easter, much like I can appreciate the sales after Valentine's Day, but that's just not really my thing. If that's your thing, then more power to you. But don't make me do Easter <sighs> things if I don't want to celebrate Easter. Right. That's my that's my soapbox. Well, if you stuck around this long, yeah, thank you. Good for you. I know you that did this a marathon is, today. This is a monster of an episode because it's gonna be real long, and it covers real shitty stuff. But uh, I'm gonna have to edit this one on the weekend. Yeah. I'm gonna have to. Yeah. Cause. Uh, yeah. It like I said, it's a monster. This is gonna be after. Probably about that, yeah. But like after editing and being gracious, like with certain things. Yeah. Well, well luckily most people listen to stuff faster than normal speed. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening to this now, <laughs> it's not helpful. If you didn't do so before, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oops. Well, thanks for tuning in this week. Please come back next week when we talk about something uh, not shitty. Right. We love you guys. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. If you've got something to say, find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash WTFpod. Email us at wtf.podcast.mail at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WTFAYTA podcast.
That's W-T-F-A-Y-T-A, our acronym, podcast. Our music was by Decker Hinckley, and our artwork was by Kirby Morfitt.